the best of Easter begins with a full honey baked spread. Mm. It's the thing that brings flavor to all the fun and festivities. Ooh. The bites that make all your guests grateful that Easter's here a little early this year. Enjoy the sweet and crunchy glaze of Honey Bake's bone in half ham, mouth watering sides, and desserts.、Mm. And make this year's Easter the best tasting one yet. Cheers. Every bite is a celebration with the Honey Baked Ham Company. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, July 2nd, 2018, and Caesar is home. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the MMA Hour. Thank you so much for joining me here. I appreciate it. On the docket today, quite a show for you. A few news and notes to get to from the weekend. Actually, some breaking news we're going to get to at 12 20. He was a Bellator analyst and commentator. Now he's a UFC analyst and commentator. For the Monday morning analyst, Jimmy Smith will be here. After that, she will update us on her legal battles with the UFC related to the National Labor Review Board. Leslie Smith and her attorney, Lucas Middlebrook, will be here. At about 105, he is the Bellator middleweight champ. I believe the first champion to be on this show in my iteration of it,、uh, Gegard Mousasi. We'll be here as well. We'll talk about his fight with Rory, some of the things he's been saying about Leota Machida in the press. And then at 125, James Vick will be here, UFC lightweight. Of course, he was scheduled to be fighting Paul Felder at UFC Lincoln. And now he'll be taking on Justin Gaethje in that main event. Plus, after that, we get to the portion of the show where you are my guest, the sound off.、Uh, number to call for that sound off, by the way, same as it always is 844. 866 2468. We're going to put a graphic up. There it is. 844 866 2468.、Um, you guys have been leaving your calls, your questions, your bitches, your gripes, and your smart ass remarks. And we have heard them. And we have selected the best of them. And of course, the tweets as well. You can use the hashtag TheMMAHour. We will pick the best from those.、Uh, thank you guys so much for spending your Monday with me. If you are waking up with me on the West Coast, it is 9 a.m. your time. I really appreciate it. If you are here on the East Coast, here in New York City, specifically where the studios are, I appreciate you spending me, with me your,、uh, your lunchtime hour, or really whenever you watch this and wherever you live. Our European listeners, our Australian listeners, Scandinavian in particular listeners. I don't know. I'm just sort of calling out different parts of the world. Thank you guys so much、uh, for joining me.、Uh, he is the arroz to my frijoles, the arequipe to my pan. Back in the back is our friend and producer of the show. Mr. Danny Segura. Danny. Yo. Yo. How, How are you, my friend? Yo, Ian. You doing good? Yeah. You? You're giving me a weird, weird stare. There you go. Look into the camera, son. That's how a pro does it. Did you have a good weekend? Yeah. It was a pretty good weekend. Now, it was a quiet weekend. There was not a whole lot of MMA. There was some funky MMA, which we'll get to here in the show. We have some surprises for everybody. I can't wait to do this. However,、uh, it wasn't that busy. So I'm wondering how you spent it. Doing anything interesting? Well, I actually moved so. Moving in New York City is not too fun.、No. So、I had to deal with that. But,、uh, I did it a number of times when I lived、yeah. there. It's terrible. 
But the World Cup was was in full force. We had some quality games, uh, so that wasn't bad. Uh, I ha- I'm in the league myself, so I played on Sunday. Yep. We we drew against the team, so not bad either. Now, as we look ahead, this is – I'm going to make this point here in just a second, Danny. This is one of the biggest weeks. I don't think this is much of an exaggeration. By the time this week is over, Danny, I don't know how big it's going to be. However, true or false, this week has the potential – by the time Sunday morning rolls around, to be one of the most consequential in UFC history. True or false? True. I think it's absolutely true. And not even UFC history, MMA history. Now, I don't know how consequential in the end Jake Shields headlined the third PFL show in my hometown of Washington, D.C. will be. But if Israel Adesanya can do something magical and push his way up the ranks on Friday, who knows what's going to happen? Ronda Rousey is going into the Hall of Fame. What is she going to say? What's that going to be about? Then, of course, you have, as I mentioned, the rest of the Ultimate Fighter. We'll see what happens with that as well. And then on Saturday, God only knows what's going to happen what is your thoughts on ultimately how big it's going to be? International Fight Week's always big, but calibrated for me. This is huge because there's so much. So the all the matchups mean so much. Let's say, you know, Max Holloway versus Ortega. If Max Holloway wins, that could potentially set itself up for a Conor McGregor fight. Who knows down the line if he decides to go up to 155. We know. Uh, if he's saying it's a matter of when, not right. if. Right. So, I mean, if he wins, that's just going to, you know, speed up the whole process. Right. Uh, th- that fight right there is just means uh, new new generation of fighters. It means so much for the sport. And then you got DC Cormier as well. Um, you, you got Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic. That's a huge fight as well. We just talked about on the beat last week if Daniel Cormier wins huge and gets the heavyweight sticks. title fight. I mean, all of a sudden, the John Jones, Daniel Cormier third fight opens up, and that's going to be a huge fight for the UFC. So, or, or by the way, as Chael Sonnen said over the weekend, it's his opinion, but I don't know that it's ill-founded that if Stipe wins, maybe DC retires. Maybe this is the swan exactly. song yeah. for somebody like DC. So this weekend is huge at MMA Fighting. We're going to have everybody covered. I mean, we got a bunch of people going to Vegas. I'm going to be there. You're not, but that's okay. <laughs> uh Nevertheless, nevertheless, we got a ton of work to do. We have PFL on Thursday, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series on Tuesday, Hall of Fame this week, the tough finale on Friday, and then again, UFC 226. We're going to sleep less than 10 hours all week. I have a – no one's crying for us, I understand, Mm -hmm. but pack a lunch, son. It's about to get busy. Yeah. All right, before we go, real quickly, uh, tell me, did the calls come in at our hotline, 844-866-2468? How were the crop of calls you had to select, and did anyone treat the calls as if they were using the lower half of their body like an amusement park? No comment there, but the, the, the calls were interesting. You'll see uh, we, got, uh, we got a familiar face okay. showing up. All right. Um, somebody you, you crowned in the first uh, show. And uh, we got your weekly mouth breather as well, so we'll, we'll rate that, and uh, you'll let me know uh, – how you feel that one and where do you think that was probably uh, that, that call took place? Okay, we'll check in back with you probably periodically through the show, but certainly if, if things go uh, a little tight with the schedule, I'll see you during the sound off. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, buddy. Very good. Let me get to some breaking news, if I may. If we can get we go. That's the camera I wanted here. As I mentioned, uh, Jimmy Smith will be here in about 14 minutes or so. Uh, let me get to some breaking news, if I may. Uh, our friends over at ESPN got this scoop, so shouts to them. I think it was Brett Okamoto, yes. Um, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. This was this published maybe 30 minutes ago. They're going to rekindle their, as he writes, an infamous rivalry in a trilogy bout later this year under the Oscar De La Hoya Golden Boy Promotions Banner. ESPN has confirmed the story. 
They have signed promotional agreements. An official date and location are being finalized and should be announced soon. My hunch is it won't take place in Las Vegas. It'll be in Southern California, but we'll have to see. That's just merely a, a hunch. Uh, the pay-per-view will mark Golden Boy's first foray into MMA, although you can recall uh, they were they had a relationship with Affliction to a degree. Remember, there was a m- moment in time where it was actually promoted as an idea should Golden Boy and Affliction do half boxing, half MMA cards together. It never materialized. Of course, we know the stories there, but that actually was floated for a time. This won't be that. I don't think it'll just be all MMA, but I want to sort of make that clear. Uh, of course, this takes place after nearly 12 years from their original bout, UFC 66, in December of 2006. Quote, this is from De La Hoya. Uh, excuse me, this is from, uh, yes, De La Hoya. I am proud to announce that we've signed a deal for the fight between Liddell and Ortiz. Uh, De La Hoya said in a statement to ESPN, this will be huge for sports fans around the world. Ortiz and Liddell are two of the most recognized fighters in MMA history. They are legends in the sport. Let me um, let me open up the show, if I may, with a, with a comment. Now, here's how it works in MMA. If you offer an opinion, somebody gets mad at you in this sport. And the interesting part about it is the people who get mad at you um, sometimes they call you up and tell you, but 99% of the times they don't. It's the most passive aggressive industry I've ever been involved with, but I really don't care. What is the point of me coming up here and just lying to you and pretending to do things and say things that I don't believe in? There is none with that. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting anyone else does, but I just know what my responsibilities are. So here's the truth about this. I actually don't, uh, care about the fight, but I also don't mind it. In fact, I think fights like this tell us a lot about the state of the industry. There was an interesting report over the weekend. Did you guys see it? Uh, Zufa Holdings, or I think it's called UFC Holdings LLC, which is now the new uh, sort of, um, uh, well, the new sort of financial holding group uh, post-endeavor purchase of Zufa. And they made well in excess of $700 million um, for 2017. Now, it's not in total 2017. Some of the first quarters are shifted, but it would make hardly any difference. For the ultimate total, $700 million, which would make it the most profitable year in MMA history. Um, well, for the for certainly for the UFC anyway. And what sort of stands out about that to me is that was a year when you would look at general level of enthusiasm about the product, both hardcore and from the casual fan base, and you would never have gotten that inclination. Now, certainly Mayweather-McGregor played a big role in that. Certainly, the UFC streamlining its internal staffing and letting a lot of people go contributed to that. And so I'm not here to say that those numbers are in any way funny. They're probably uh, as real as they are purported to be from the various reports. I'm really saying it's one of those situations where, as one of my friends put it before the show, they burned a ton of positive equity about the brand, but they made a lot of money with the product. There is this increasing shift towards safe, stable monetization away from maybe even riskier behaviors, or at least things that risk-taking in the service of the fan. Now, what does this have to do with Liddell and Ortiz? Here's my point about that. The way the UFC has grown, and the reason why they make those figures is in part, yes, they got a little bit of luck with the Mayweather-McGregor fight, but the reality is that they just do a ton of shows in a ton of places, and they collect a ton of rights fees from various entities. They make a lot of money by actually doing a little bit more. I'm not sure that's in the interest of the fan. I mean, partly a lot of it is. Certainly International Fight Week is. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not here to say they don't care at all. That's that's not the argument that I'm making. But rather, they arrange the product in a certain way to meet certain monetization goals that aren't necessarily in keeping with fan demand. 
And I think that has opened up a bit of the market on the other side of things. So you're going to say, well, how can Liddell Ortiz be that? Well, it's not exactly a response to a money-making year in the UFC, but in a year where the UFC has this huge number of shows, they've already announced for 2019 they're not going to be cutting. In fact, they could be growing the number depending on what they do with Fight Pass. There's just a certain feeling of stable, potential guard changing when you have the Israel Adesanya's coming up in the world, the Robert Whitakers, the Kelvin Gastelums, we'll see what happens with Mackenzie Dern, but the Sean O'Malley's, all these young people pushing out. We'll see what happens when they eventually make their way. But I do think that there is an element of fun and silliness and what's the word even? Almost, almost a carnival atmosphere that's been missing. And a lot of people say that in a pejorative sense. And if it was the backbone of the product, I think it'd be a problem. If the UFC was engaging in this, I think it would be a problem. But if other promoters in the space engage in it, I'm not really sure I understand what the problem is, especially if they go to California. If in fact they go to California, you're talking about the best regulation that is reasonably available. You are under no obligation to purchase this. You are under no obligation to watch. And I think that the growth and the stability and the unchanging nature, I mean, yes, things have changed under Endeavor, but a lot of things have remained the same. There's not this paring down the product. It's not these, yes, we got a super card coming up, but generally speaking, there's been this feeling that it's sort of just one card to the next. People going out there, and you're going to say, well, De La Hoya is just resurrecting old stars. Yeah, of course, De La Hoya is doing that. But look at some of the enthusiasm that this fight has produced. Polarizing, yes. For as many people who are saying it's terrible and they don't want to watch it, you're having an equal number who are also saying they can't wait. And I got to tell you, I I've lived the Tito Ortiz experience. You look online, you think, my God, this guy is reviled. And then you go in studio, or rather uh, in the arenas, and he is the Pope. People screaming his name, shouting, 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 Tito, Tito. People love him, which you never would get from reading uh, MMA Twitter, right? It's just a totally different, unique world. So if they put this fight in California, and if they have it, and if it's the UFC not really engaging in it, so they're getting licensure, you don't have to buy it. It's, it's appealing to a certain romanticism. I'm not going to put it on the level of Kimbo versus Dada 5000. I don't think that comparison is fair, but I think it speaks to the same kind of audience who might watch it. Number one, casual, right? These are big names, and we're big names, certainly in the sport. People know who they are. Seeing this again might stoke some feelings of what the sport might uh, once have been to them. So you're going to get that. Certainly, uh, they have... I think relative to other MMA fighters, still a pretty high um, Q rating, right? Uh, which is sort of like their mainstream visibility. And I also think that you just sometimes have to embrace the carny side of things. You really do. You have to just at least allow a place for it. The sport was in part built off of it. It remains a consistent presence. It is when that carnival side of things supplants the backbone of the real sport. That's when you get a problem, but that's not a threat here at all. I also think that what De La Hoya is doing is, yes, cravingly trying to compete with the UFC because he doesn't like the fact that Alvarez versus Triple G1 came after Mayweather McGregor. All that's true. Yes, it's just De La Hoya trying to make a bunch of money. All that's true. But I also think it speaks to some of the success that Bellator has had. There's been a lot of debate over what role and what value those sort of senior master's level fights should play in the organization. And that's a debate that should be ongoing. And it's not all of a sudden all good, but there is clearly a market for this, not merely, I think, inside of 
the major organizations, but outside on occasion. How much you can build this out to scale, I don't know. But certainly if the names are there, you can do something with it. We shall see how things progress and ultimately how this does. But, man, these passions for these guys who came up in that golden era of MMA, they die hard. They die hard. And in an era of MMA where guys kind of all look the same walking out and it's hard to latch on to a new one, and there's fight after fight after fight after fight and card after card after card, weekend after weekend after weekend. It's not that the MMA is bad. MMA, in some ways, in my judgment, has really never been better. You cannot watch... Um, even regional level of MMA anymore and say the MMA is not as good as it once was. It's, it's the level of fighting is so high, but there is always going to be a part that feels a little bit unusual. There's always going to be a part that feels a little bit, maybe even uncomfortable for you. And I'm not, again, I'm not, this is not the military. You're not being drafted to watch this. You don't have to watch any part of this. You can skip it. But I think it is actually, you're going to laugh at this. Some of you are going to laugh at this. I actually feel like it's healthy to an extent, if it's regulated properly, that other promoters in the space want to give an avenue for this portion of the sport. I've made it very clear. The portion of the sport for me that I am interested in is the elite side. It's the Max Holloways. It's the Brian Ortegas. It's the Cormiers and the Stipes and the Adesanyas, and the Tavareses, and all of that. That's the side of the sport to me that's the most interesting. But I think if you're just poo-pooing this and saying, this is, again, if it's regulated properly, but this is gross, this is dumb, who wants to see it? Yo, a lot of people, actually. A lot of people do. And I think it's disingenuous to pretend that this kind of thing isn't interesting to the audiences. Now, there was something that happened over the weekend in a, a, a similar vein it was almost, I won't say the biggest MMA news of the weekend, but perhaps the most fun and perhaps the most representative of what I'm talking about. Danny, uh, join me here for a second. You have this clip, do you not? This was a fight. Let me pull up the details here, if I may. This was a fight from, what was, I don't know what the name of the organization was, but it was Jonathan Ivey and Travis Fulton. You have seen this clip, have you not? I have. Um, roll this clip. Keep my mic on, please. I would love to talk this through with the audience. Check this out. Jo We're talking about two Ironmen, guys who just fight to fight. Can we roll the clip, please? Here we are. Look at this. So watch. Jonathan Ivey on the left, going to fake an injury, chased after him, right? He's just going to bang on him here. I mean, look at Jonathan Ivey's tattoos. This is, looks like he's lost a num. looks like he was a consistent contestant on, um, the tattoo show on Spike and just kept getting the guys who got eliminated. Okay, so watch this. He he keeps banging on him, and eventually what happens is he's going to stop here because he just gets tired of it. And he's just going to watch. He's going to stand up. I mean, I mean, the hammer fisting here is just ongoing. He looks over, shakes his head. Come on, Jonathan. Finish the job. Stops, shakes his head, gets up. And taps. All right. Stop the clip. If you don't like this clip, you can put it back here on the, on the studio. If you don't like this clip, you just don't like MMA. Period. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Appreciate, appreciate that, Danny. I, I, this is the kind of thing where you just have to allow a room for. You have to give space to that. That is part of what MMA is. It is at its, 
at its most elite, the Frankie Edgar footwork, the Jose Aldo flying knees, the left hand of Conor McGregor, it's all that. Yo, it is that too. It is that carnival shit. It is that what are we looking at? What was that? Who are these characters? You got guys like Travis Fulton. What is his record? I pulled it up here. 253, 54, and 10. This guy is out here fighting like the rest of us maintain a lawn. It is incredible to look at people like this. And I don't know how healthy all this is in the end of the day and what role commissions should be playing in putting a tighter lid on this. I don't know. But my point being is people want to eradicate that portion of the sport from itself. It's never going to work. Don't bother. Let it breathe. It is a part. It is an outlet. It is an element of the sport that you just have to, you just have to allow. And so I'm not here to put Liddell versus Ortiz, two guys who were some of the best fighters ever, on par with that. But certainly they are far past their primes. There's a question of how good the fights can be, how competitive it is. Again, is it even safe for someone like a Liddell, um, given his exit from the sport, to be competing? I look to the, whatever the relevant regulatory a- a- athletic commission is here in this case um, to make those calls and to do their work. I'm simply saying, watch what you want to watch. Don't watch what you don't want to watch. But do not be in a space where you decide that this is MMA or that is MMA. Only the super serious, some of the non-serious, none of that stuff. You have to, you have to open up room for both. <laughs> and that Jonathan Ivy clip, did you guys see the tattoo on his stomach? Fighting solves everything. I mean, where else do you see characters like this? Never, nowhere. They don't exist. This is the best thing I've ever seen all week. Sure, Ryzen made news, yeah, with, uh, they got some fights coming out. Those will be great. Of course, they're, they engage in some of this pageantry and some of this other stuff, so that's partly it. Um, there was Bellator on Friday, which we'll talk about here in just a second when we can find Jimmy Smith. Uh, obviously, we're all looking forward to the great fights this weekend, right? But in looking at what just made the rounds on social media and looking at what the kinds of things were that people were talking about, this seemed to be of the highest priority. All right, 844-866-2468. I believe we are waiting on Jimmy Smith to get this going. We're going to do our Monday morning analyst. Did you guys see Bellator over the weekend? Over the weekend, did you guys see that? It was interesting. Um, First of all, here's one thing that just deserves to be noted here quite quickly, if I may, as we get ready to transition uh, into our next segment. Let me pull this up. Do you guys follow what Ed Ruth is doing? Ed Ruth who is literally, how, do I, how would I describe it? Maybe one of the 10 best wrestlers in NCAA history, irrespective of weight class. I mean, we're talking about one of the best, right? One of the best uh, ever. He is now 6-0, and okay? He has been fighting, let's see, he fought twice in 2016, twice in 2017, twice in 2018. You wouldn't know it if you were just paying attention to headlines. His name has creep, crept up here or there. But the point being is, he has... I think carved out a nice, not niche exactly. He is building experience quietly while no one is looking. And I'm loving that. Get time training. He's only 27 years old. Get cage time. Work on your craft. Build the right way. And then maybe now after six fights, he should start getting some more main card slots. I know he's had a couple. But I just love that this guy is like, yeah, sure, I'll take all of those early prelim fights. I'll fight in, what was he fighting in Budapest and Italy, right? Good, great. Just let him get the relevant requisite experience that he needs um, 
to, to, to when he's ready to turn that corner. You saw what happened to Aaron Pico. Now, he has made a roaring comeback, but obviously his debut did not go according to plan. Maybe that was too much pressure from people like me and, and, and other various parties. But nevertheless, I just love how Ruth is saying, spotlight will come soon as I'm ready. Let me work on my craft. And he's not out there doing a bunch of media. I mean, after this one, he was calling out some folks, I think, for that welterweight Grand Prix. But uh, nevertheless, I just want to make a note. Really, really appreciate the soft pedal that Ed Ruth is applying to the early stages of his career. All right. Now, that was Ed Ruth on the bottom of the card. I want to talk about other stuff as well as what's coming up in the week. That means we have to go to our first segment of the show. It's time for the Monday Morning Analyst. All right. Joining us now through Skype, I believe, he was a Bellator analyst and commentator. Now he is a UFC analyst and commentator, one of the very best that does it. The one and only Jimmy Smith, I believe, is here. There he is. Boy, in crisp HD at 9 a.m. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm here, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing quite well. Jimmy, by the way, what is your responsibilities for International Fight Week? I'm doing the tough finale, man. That's what I'm doing uh, Friday, so that's my gig next week, man. What are you doing on Saturday night? Like, in other words, where are you going to be? Uh, I got a vacation with my family that weekend. So I'm literally doing the tough finale, and then I am gone. I'm out immediately, so I can't stick around for any of this stuff. So, yeah, my only gig is the, the Ultimate Fighter finale. All right, we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's backtrack a little bit. I saw that you were at the Bellator show over the weekend. How was it being back? Uh, it was fun, man. It was it was really to see all the guys. I mean, working at Bellator was great. Great people, great producers and everything. And they were finally doing a show in Southern California where I didn't have a gig. So I went down and said hi to everybody. And, and I actually got to see it from the production truck, which I never got a chance to do uh, while I was working. So that was cool. And just meeting everybody and seeing everybody, that was really cool. Saw Limale after she won. She's fantastic. And it was great seeing all those guys again. Yeah, and by the way, there are scenes of that from our own uh, EKC Layden, or Leiden, I can never pronounce his last name correctly. He did a, a big video about it. It's on the site, so if you want to check that out, you may. Um, all right, so Jimmy, let's talk about her. Elima Lay McFarland defeating Alejandro Lara, yeah. submission via armbar, 355 of round three. You know what is so interesting about Elima Lay? She's only, what, eight, nine fights into her career? She seems to be getting rapidly better, but more than that, she just has a ton of personality. I'm wondering, as someone who knows her a little bit, she... She she has a bigger personality, I think, than a lot of folks realize, and you can begin to see it with each evolving fight. She gets it. I mean, that's what we say in, in this business is, man, Elimelech totally gets it. Not only does she have – she has the look, she has the skills, but she's so engaging. You know, she's really into native rights. She's really into a lot of issues that that really connect with the fans. She always – when she was in, in Temecula, she – she came out with a native dancer. She really does it up on the weigh-ins. She just really does a great job connecting with fans. And once you have that and you have the skills to finish and, uh, you know, you have the look that she has, she's got it all. She's fantastic. All right, so let's talk about that finish itself. I, I thought for sure Laura was a goner even on the first armbar attempt, and she just couldn't – credit to Laura for being tough. But I'm wondering what you saw there. You have, to me, and someone like with McFarlane – an incredible all-around grappling talent, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, her her submission game is fantastic. Needs a little work, work a little bit on her takedown game. She went for a couple throws that didn't work out early. You know, these big commitment kind of throws that, that, that didn't work out. But once she's on the ground and she gets her submission game going, she's absolutely fantastic. And she knew going into that fight 
Laura's really flexible, really long arms and legs. You know, it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to submit her. And I thought she was going to have to, you know, go for broke and you know actually really really go for it to get the submission, which is exactly what she did. And when I was watching in the truck, she had the arm bar, but her hips were just a little bit off to the side. And I turned to my producer and I go, "She's got to turn her hips to the left and get underneath." You know, I can't help but you know commentate the fight as I'm watching it with people. And I said, "She's got to turn it." And as soon as she got her hips underneath to the left, that was it. It was done. It's fantastic. Okay, here's sort of where I'm at with this one on her. You mentioned about the takedowns. Why is it that the takedowns on the women's side of the game are not quite as good as the men's? And let me be clear about this. I'm not trying to disparage the women's side. I'm merely saying, number one, you have more uh, men who have matriculated from the wrestling side, so I think that's a big portion of it. But the best practices are really the same, and the men kind of train with the women. I'm wondering, am I misunderstanding the issue here? What, why is it do you think there's a bit of a gap in terms of the technical acumen related to that particular part of the game? Did you see, it was the NCAA finals in wrestling two or three years ago, I forget when, and they did a montage before the beginning of the, of the, uh, of the actual matches and said, and asked all the wrestlers, when did you start? And guys, it was guys like Logan Stieber, uh, Isaiah Martinez, you know, guys on world teams now, and they all went, like five, like yeah, I really got into it. You know, I really started taking it seriously at six. I really wanted to be a world champion at seven. The level, I mean, when I was in high school, there wasn't women didn't wrestle. It just there were no women's wrestling teams. You know, it, it just didn't happen. It's only really gotten big in the last couple of years. These guys that have takedowns that are really phenomenal have been doing it since they were little kids, and there's a tradition that goes back a hundred years in this country where it's a really big deal and. Women's wrestling has gotten big in the last few years, but the tradition isn't there. When you talk to a lot of the, 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 the female wrestlers that have come up through that, they started in high school. They start, oh, I started in junior high. I got into high school. I won a sport. And, you know, like I became a state qualifier starting like, you know, my sophomore year in high school. With men, that doesn't happen. You can't really be competitive on the national and international level. You didn't start when you were five or six. So we're just used to seeing a much higher level. Most fans don't realize how long when you see, you know, a high level wrestler wrestling, how long they've been doing it. And so when we look at a women's fight, we're like, oh, their takedown's not as good. The guys that are good have been doing it 20, 30 years. And so women's wrestling hasn't caught up to that level yet. And so we just the comparison just isn't there. We just we're looking at a level, I think, with men that we don't appreciate how high it is. And so we see other, oh, they're not quite as good. It's it's decades to get that good. So that get, makes me that's wonder. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And it also makes makes me appreciate St. Pierre more and even Jose Aldo. I don't know how good Jose Aldo's takedowns were, but his version of MMA, MMA's referee position where he's breaking the hands, leaning back, and then turning. Yeah. Like, he's doing that to guys, to your point, that have been wrestling for decades. It's it's freakish. I mean, I remember when um, GSP fought Koscheck and Koscheck goes, he can't take me down. I've been wrestling since I was five. We all saw how that fight went. I mean, you know, GSP's ability in terms of the MMA takedown is really, really incredible. And not just and, and what you gotta remember is, you know, there there are turns, there's all kind of stuff in wrestling that that don't really apply to MMA, that MMA fighters just really pretty much have to worry about the takedown, the takedown defense. All right, so let's get into this weekend. Let's talk about that main event. Israel Adesanya, this is the fight that you're calling versus Brad Tavares. Israel Adesanya, I mean, you can't say enough good things about him, but he seems, um, he handles all the questions well, but he clearly doesn't want the UFC, in his own words, he put it, to baby him. But then I just talked about Ed Ruth, and Ed Ruth's still a little bit earlier in his career. He's matriculating from another sport, but he's 
I'm not saying – I'm not trying to use the word baby in a pejorative sense, but he's clearly taken the soft approach to the beginning of his career. What is the right approach for yeah. a fighter? And is Adesanya ready for a guy who is battle-tested in Brad Tavares? One thing about this fight, Israel Adesanya versus Brad Tavares, every fan and pundit and expert that I talked to kind of did the eyebrow raise. When they heard about this fight, they went, man, Brad Tavares is tough. Are you sure Israel Adesanya is ready for that in his third UFC fight? And also – if you really study tape, which I've had to do for the last couple of weeks on uh, Brad Tavares, he's tough to look good against. Even if, you know, you're doing all right, you have a couple of good rounds, he's just so solid. His hands are so high. He's stocky, he's short, he's strong, um, doesn't take a lot of big risks. It's hard for somebody like Israel Adesanya, who can look so explosive and good, to look that good against Brad Tavares. That that's it, It's a tough stylistic matchup for him. Um, as far as how you groom a guy. There's a little bit less of that in the UFC. It's just, you know, one of the things about Bellator is they've invested a lot in a lot of young talent like Ed Ruth, like Aaron Pico. The problem with that is those first six or seven fights that you would normally have at, at some local promotion that might be a mismatch and nobody cares happen under the bright lights in a big promotion. So they're brought up and raised up uh, under bright lights. So a lot of their first few fights are you know, they have to be groomed a little bit, that they're investing in them early. They can't let them, you know, stumble in their first five or six fights. We saw what happened with Eric Pico and Zach Freeman. You know, it's it's we know what happens when you take on an experienced guy. So um, it, there's a little bit less of that in the UFC. I saw it a lot more in Bellator. I mean, even even Israel Adesanya, when he came in the UFC, had a backlog of fights. He had, you know, beat Melvin Gillard, UFC veteran before that, absolutely destroyed him. So he had a little bit more background than Ed Ruth. But I see a lot more of that. Um, cultivating going on in Bellator. And then it also reminds me of someone like Dylan Danis. People were like, oh, his, he took a couple punches in his first fight. I'm like, have you guys seen people's first fights before? It, that's about as good as it gets. He looked exactly as I thought he would. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's, that's the issue. Once again, we're seeing career developments that, that usually take place in obscurity, you know, I always tell fighters the best time to lose is when nobody's watching and when nobody cares. In your first five or six fights, you're fighting at a local show, making a couple hundred bucks. You can go four and two in your first six fights because you're building up. It's not a big deal. Um, at the end of your career, when you already have a name established and, you know, you're a Ken Shamrock or something like that, you can lose and every, you're already established. It doesn't really make any difference. Nobody cares. Um, they don't get that luxury. When you start in, you're, you're, you're coming in as a hot prospect you know, in Bellator, and it's your first five or six fights, you're under the bright lights, under scrutiny immediately. So everything gets gets analyzed, everything. You don't get that grace period, you know? Certainly don't, and he didn't either, although I, I thought he performed quite ably, given the circumstances. So this takes us to Saturday, when you are going to be not doing your job, out there gallivanting <laughs> around the globe. Uh, it's let's not talk about my show, or I would have <laughs> Let's talk about DC versus Stipe. We had Dan Hardy on the show last week. He thinks DC has an uphill climb. Look, I agree that DC has an uphill climb, but I'd like to stump for him. I, th I went back and I looked at all of, and I'm, I'm trust me, I'm not saying that Josh Barnett is Stipe Miocic. I don't mean that as in a pejorative sense, but they're just not the same fighter. They're not the same size. Yeah. There's a lot of differences. But I went back and I looked at the predictions before Cormier versus Barnett, and there were some people picking Cormier, but a lot of people thought, you know what? He's a true heavyweight. He's going to lean on him. He'll find a way. It just sort of routinely didn't take into to, uh, account the athletic gifts of somebody like Cormier. I realize he's 39, but do you share my sense that, yes, maybe he has an uphill climb against Stipe, but I just don't feel like people are taking into account what he can do, particularly on the speed side of things. 
And that, I think, is a good thing for him. I think it's good to go in as the underdog. It's good to go in under the radar. It's good to go in as the guy where everybody's looking to champ and everybody's looking to Stipe. So I think psychologically, that's a great place for DC to be. Is kind of overlooked a little bit. Um, I think he has a great chance in this fight. Um, the one difference is Stipe has wrestled at a higher level than most of the heavyweight opponents that that DC could have faced. Like he doesn't have, he's not going to have that takedown necessarily in his back pocket whenever he needs it. It's not going to be a Volcanoes Demir kind of situation where it's like, look, I'm going to go to this takedown. I know I'm going to get it if I need it. It's not always going to be there against Stipe because Stipe does have an excellent takedown defense in his own right. Did wrestle uh, at a high level, obviously not at DC's level, but. You know, he's had that wrestling background. So I think DC is going to have to be a little more judicious as to when he goes for that takedown. His timing has to be a little bit better. He has to work a little harder. He can't just dive in like he like uh, against someone who doesn't have that experience. Do you think it's going to look a little Cain Velasquez-ish? And here's what I mean by that. You go back to Velasquez against the Dos Santos. He'd fire the underhook against the fence and just kind of pull, push begin to wear on him physically, lean on him. I realize he there was a little bit closer in size between the two uh, relative to DC and Stipe, but still, just the weight, you know, DC knows how to manipulate his weight and then also kind of just bang on him on the other side where you're pulling and pushing on the underhook and then you're firing the punch on the other side. And two or three rounds of that, man, they're a different fighter afterwards. Do you think we might see some of that? 100%. I, I definitely think we will. I think DC is going to be either bullying against the fence landing short punches or on the outside going for that quick takedown. His level change is very, very fast, but you know, it's, it's there. I always say there's no bad build for combat sports It's do you use the build that you have? And DC's athletic, very, very quick for a size. We haven't seen that slow down in his late thirties that we've seen a lot of fighters. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, he has all the physical tools. He has all the tactical tools. It's a matter of wearing CP down, like you said, against the fence, kind of making him smaller as the fight goes on not taking huge risks and getting underneath going for a takedown. He cannot do that. He can't be in that sprawl and brawl position where he's underneath against Stipe, who hits like he stole something from him. Real, real heavyweight power. So let's talk about Stipe very quickly. What is his essential rules of the road here? Is it sticking behind the jab, good footwork, staying off that fence? Because it seems to me if he can work behind that, I'm not sure there's a man alive who can beat him. The question is, of course, can he do it? But if that's if that's working for him, I agree. I don't care who you are. You're going to have a real tough time with him. Yeah, and finding the placement for that right hand. I mean, uh, DC knocked out for the first time in his career against John Jones the last couple of fights. So that's memory still might be in there. You want to get him overreacting to big punches. You want to hurt him and let him know, I'm the heavyweight puncher in here. You've never been in there with a striker like me who can really turn one over. And talk about the psychological edge. I mean, the problem with Stipe is he's in a position where he's chasing history. Right now, he's amongst the greatest heavyweights in MMA history. He's one or two, in my, in my opinion. And so he's chasing a, a great legacy. But we were just talking about the, the, the kind of the, the relative opinion of people. He kind of has to look great, I think. Because a lot of people are always taking on a light heavyweight. DC's moving up. He might be in a position where uh, he feels he needs to really overperform. If he can stay away from that. And not let that mental pressure get to him. Uh, I think he, he has all the tools to win the fight. 
And then last but certainly not least, Max Holloway taking on Brian Ortega. I have to be honest, the stakes of the main event are bigger, and it's a, it's a fantastic fight in every way you could ask for one. But if I can just speak to my own personal biases, and I don't ask anyone else to follow, but I just speak to what I am looking forward to the most, it's got to be that one. But here's the question. I am a big believer in the abilities of Max Holloway. I make that no secret. But I want to make sure I am not sleeping on Brian Ortega. So tell me, Jimmy Smith, what are the talents that Brian Ortega possesses that can, if he implements them correctly, give Max Holloway some real trouble on Saturday night? Max Holloway has a tendency to step forward and brawl. He tends to like fight Hawaiian. Like, let's meet in the middle and throw punches and see who goes down first. Uh, against Jose Aldo, who I think was a little bit past his prime at the time, he could win those kinds of battles. He could win those kinds of exchanges. Brian Ortega, when he hits, he can flatten anybody. He's a giant for this weight class. He really sits down on his big punches. Um, now, Frankie Edgar found out how hard he can get hit. That's a big difference. I think he has more one-shot power than Jose Aldo did the two times Max Holloway fought him. Max Holloway is used to stepping forward and trading punches and being the guy who can walk out and kind of out-volume his opponent. I don't think he can do that against Brian Ortega. I think he needs to change his strategy a little bit. You know, punches and punches, then move out, angle a little bit, frustrate the fighter who hasn't been through the kind of rounds he has been through. That's his ace in the holes. I've been through a lot of five-round fights. I'm the champion. I know what it's like to swim in deep water. You don't. So I think rather than the, you know, step, step in the center of the octagon and bang kind of strategy, he needs to drag Ortega into a long, difficult fight that he's not that used to. I think he needs to change tactics in this fight. Let me play devil's advocate if I may. That's my breakdown. Boom. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> and I'm go. done. He just, just walk off and hang up now. No, no, I'm I, I, I'm that, was, <laughs> that was certainly my, my thought as well. I was like, if he can just sort of moderate – the offense, and then the longer that goes, it works to his benefit. But then you look at Brian Ortega, the guy's got, what, a gazillion third-round submissions. I'm not saying he progresses in that sort of linear way that Holloway does over time, but it's not like he's not dangerous late either. How do you mitigate that if you're Max Holloway? Man, you got to stay out of those tough positions. I mean, I think, I think his ace in the hole is really his submission game. Brian Ortega has fantastic submissions, especially gets in dominant position. So... You want to stay tactically very, very sharp and not end up in those bad situations end of third round, fourth round where, you know, it, it's the start of the fourth. He still has plenty of time to work and you're running out of gas. He has to be very, very careful when it comes to the positional game, the takedown game. Striking wise, Brian Ortega hits hard, but Max Holloway has more experience in long stand up battles. And I think that's where his advantage is going to be. He cannot get mounted early fourth round, early fifth round positions like that. He needs to stay out of. Uh, any other fight on that card? I mean, Mike, this this card on Saturday is like just bananas. So I'll ask you to narrow it down. Any other? Oh, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you about this. Felder taking on Perry. Please. Felder taking on Perry. Felder is certainly the more polished of the two, but I've talked to him a number of times. He's like, yeah, the game plan was not to do what I did. And I went ahead and won anyway, but it was definitely not that. <laughs> a guy like Mike Perry, who's naturally bigger anyway, because it's going to be at 170, he could probably draw him into that. What are you making of this Felder versus Perry matchup at the last second? Man, that, that's a tough one because the, the one good news is you don't have to, in my opinion, Mike Perry is not a guy where it's like, that's late. I have to totally change my game plan. You know what kind of fight Mike Perry is going to bring to you. Um, but Felder, to your point, can get drawn into those kind of brawls. That's exactly how he likes to fight. Where Paul Felder is best, on top, ground and pound, short elbows. Once he's on top of you, man, 
that guy is vicious. He's absolutely vicious. And that's going to be his key to victory is anytime there's a brawl, anytime we're throwing punches and the crowd's going crazy, that's when he's got to be looking for his takedown. Whether he's winning the brawl or not, he's got to win this fight on top. Mike Perry is a very, very hard hitter. He's big at 170 pounds. Uh, Paul Felder does not want to trade, trade punches with this guy. He'll get drawn into that kind of brawl, but he has to use that as an opportunity to get his takedown going, get his ground and pound going, wear him down, cut him up, bloody him up, but do it on the ground where, where Paul Felder's on top. That's where he needs to be. There was a rash of retirements last week. One of them was your colleague on that Fox Sports desk, which was Rashad Evans. I think I speak for many when I say I was glad to see it uh, because he has done yeah. so much in the sport. There's nothing left to prove. But it was more than that. Felipe Aranches at age 30 retired. Josh Koscheck on my radio show retired. And then Johnny Hendricks on MMA Junkie retired. Uh, any thoughts about the spate of retirements? It does seem coincidental, but nevertheless, I'm wondering what you made of them. Well, I, I think the timing on all of them is good. I mean, it, there weren't many where I went, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I mean, these guys had had accomplished what they needed to accomplish in the sport. They were on the downside of their skills. That's the time to get out. I mean, Koscheck announced it recently, but for a long time, it's, it's, it's well, you know, he's had one fight in, what, three or four years. I mean, he's, his body just isn't capable of, of keeping up with the sport anymore. And I think it's a good thing, personally. I, I don't like seeing fighters hang out past their prime. I don't like seeing a fighter take more damage than he absolutely has to for his career. So I was happy about all of those retirements. All right. So you're off to vacation on Saturday. Any other fight this week you're looking forward to? Any last one? I'm looking forward to oh, man. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to a ton of them because I have had to study like you would not believe. Uh, hold on, before, hold on, let me ask you. Uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me follow up if I may. Tell folks what your work yes. method is. How do you study? Do you just get on Fight Pass and go, I'm just going to watch fights for an hour? What is it? What is your methodology? I'd actually be really curious to know. All right, so what I do is the UFC sends out these bio sheets of, of the fighter. So in one corner, so I download all the bio sheets, and in one corner of my computer all these bio sheets. So I click on the bio sheet, and the iPad on which I am speaking to you, I write down fights, the, the, the manner of the finish, and then I put whatever little thing strikes me most. Tends to win by this, tends to win in the first round, whatever's on the record. Then I literally sit there and I watch fights all friggin' day and make my notes. So on my iPad are all my notes for every single fight, both fighters I have them together. And uh, yeah, I basically jot down notes for all day. So, you know, a standard cars, 12 fights is 24 fighters. You spend an hour a day, that's a full day of study. To, right, to, so to you go bring, you bring like a big... But I do way more than that, way more than an hour. So, but you bring like a big notebook to the fight. And so at each fight, you flip the page and there's all your notes and the finishes and everything. Everything's electronic. I, I put everything on this iPad on which I'm speaking to you. Everything's on like John Anik has like a notebook and all these cards and all this stuff. And I don't do paper anymore because it just becomes too, too much of a headache. So I keep everything. My iPad's always in front of me. And underneath that are all the UFC notes that they give me. And I just kind of reference those when I absolutely need them, but everything's everything's electronic, everything's right here, so I can kind of scroll around and see everything I need. Yeah. Was that was this that ratty ass iPad you brought to my my one radio show? Do you remember that? Just the case is ratty, by the way. So yeah, the ratty ass <laughs> iPad case that has been destroyed because I constantly uh, destroy the stupid thing. Yeah, I got a new case. But the All iPad's right. still the same, man. All right. Well, you know what? Your analysis is about as good as it gets, Jimmy. I really, really, really appreciate you being on. I cannot wait to hear the call. I'll actually be there uh, on Friday to cover the fights in person as well. You're, you're truly, I cannot tell you how great it is to see your career thrive in the way that it has. And thank you, I know, for getting you, up man. and spending some time with me, man. I really, really appreciate it. Have fun with the call on Friday. I will. Give me a call on Friday when you're in town. All right, brother? I will. Okay. Thank you so much, Jimmy. We go from uh, one Smith. Which camera are we on? This one.
We go from one Smith to another. Just bang, back to back. Joining us now, I believe on Skype, is Leslie Smith. And I believe we have her attorney on the phone with Lucas Middlebrook. Is that right? Yes, I believe it is. Hi, Leslie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing quite well. And Lucas, you're there uh, via phone, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Leslie, let me go to you first. First of all, how are you doing? Nice to see you. Oh, man, I'm awesome. I had the best Friday ever. It was everything I could have hoped for. All right. Ooh, we got to turn his uh, sound down. There we go. Okay, let me go to you first, Leslie, if I may. So I hear from you. Can we turn him down in the back, please? There we go. Thank you. All right. Let me go to you first. I apologize. I saw that you were jubilant on Friday. So for folks who don't know the situation, you, of course, were scheduled to fight at UFC Atlantic City. Uh, That all fell through. You were released, and you believe that their behavior there was related to your potential organizing activities around Project Spearhead. You took that complaint, as I understand it, to the NLRB, the National Labor Review Board, and they found what, Leslie? They found that my claims had merit. They That's that's the only thing that they're doing in this first place is deciding whether or not my claims have merit and they're worth the National Labor Relations Board um, prosecuting, filing charges against the UFC. So... That was the first thing Lucas called me on Friday morning saying that indeed the National Labor, the NLRB had found that my claims had merit, that they think that not only was I retaliated against by the, or that my claim that I was retaliated against by the UFC for organizing is legit, but they also think that we're statutory employees. That's the first federal office to agree so far on this journey. So it's two claims that they essentially weighed in on. One, they weighed in on whether or not, in your judge, well, their judgment rather, whether or not you were discriminated against related to these particular issues. And then also, independent of that, they found that you're a statutory employee. Is that it? Indeed. The reason that they found that we're employees is because the National Labor Relations Board is set up to enforce the National Labor Relations Act. And the National Labor Relations Act is to protect employees. And so they couldn't have made a ruling on me being discriminated against unless they decided that I was indeed a statutory employee. And that was the whole point of Project Spearhead in the first place was to establish whether or not we are actually employees or independent contractors. So in order to answer the claim about me getting retaliated against, they had to deal with the very first issue that we were invested in anyway. Now, Lucas, if I can, I'll go to you. Uh, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Sorry about the sound issues. They were just blowing my eardrums out here in these uh, headphones of mine. Uh, let me go to you, if I may, on this clarification. When they say they found uh, merit for the claim that Leslie was discriminated against, did they put this in writing? And if so, what did they say? No, it is not in writing. I received a call from Region 4, which is where Leslie's charge is pending. It's located in Philadelphia. It's the region that has jurisdiction over Atlantic City, which is where her fight was. I received a call from Region 4 early Friday saying that they had made a merit determination in Leslie's favor. And as Leslie just explained, the merit determination touched on two points. There was merit that uh, Leslie and other similarly situated fighters were employees under the NLRA and not independent contractors. Therefore, the act has uh, applicability. And the second merit determination was that there was enough evidence presented that 
that uh, the releasing of Leslie was for retaliatory purposes, which is illegal under the National Labor uh, Relations, Relations Act. And what a, what a merit determination means is that the region, the federal government, has decided that uh, Leslie, in this instance, produced enough evidence uh, to back up her claim, and, and therefore the region, uh, absent a settlement, uh, which they said they would give about a month, would be filing a complaint uh, against the UFC based on Leslie's charge. And at that point, the NLRB region actually serves as uh, a prosecutor almost, uh, and they prosecute the complaint against the UFC. So there was nothing in writing, and that's typical uh, you know, when you're first informed that they've made a merit determination. Okay, so let me just get a clarification. When you say that they're going to file a complaint what what is the nature of that complaint? Is it binding for some kind of law to be changed? Like ultimately, what is the upshot once the complaint is filed in the real world? Sure. What happens is the NLRB files a complaint, almost similar to a complaint that would be filed in a civil action, except it's filed uh, under, in front of an administrative law judge. So they file a complaint. It's facing the NLRB. It's served on the UFC. The UFC gets a chance to answer, put forward any affirmative defenses that they believe apply. Uh, which one would be independent contractor, because remember, it, the burden is on the employer, employer here, the UFC, to prove that these fighters are independent contractors and not statutory employees. So the burden is actually not on Leslie to prove that it would be on the UFC. Uh, so they would make those affirmative defenses. There would be a small discovery period period where you can request documents from each side, similar to a court proceeding. And then eventually the case would proceed uh, to an administrative law judge, and there would be a hearing held in Philadelphia at the, the Region 4 offices. And then after the hearing, the, the judge would ask for post-hearing uh, written briefs, and then the administrative law judge would rule on, the, on the, the questions in front of him or her, which would be the employee versus independent contractor and whether or not Leslie was uh, retaliated. And once that judge issues a decision— that is now NLRB case law, and the parties are free to appeal that decision to the full board if, if either party so wishes. One more question with Lucas, and I'll get back to you, Leslie, in just a minute. But, Lucas, what is the timeline for that? If all that proceeds as you had discussed, what are we looking at in terms of a horizon? It's a more expeditious process than a civil action in either state or federal court. Uh, obviously, it's a you know, it's a little bit of a complicated matter. So I, you know, I would envision if if that proceeded per the timeline that we heard Friday morning, that we could potentially be in a hearing by the end of this year. Oh, okay, Rel relatively quickly. Uh, I'll go back to you here, Leslie, to discuss this. You know, it's interesting when you were a part of the UFC, you made clear Project Spearhead was not against them; it was merely to be at an equitable sort of uh, part of the table with them. Right? Let's share the power, and then we'll all work together. But it seems to me, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding it, this new effort is related to merely what happened in Atlantic City, where, whereas Project Spearhead is about sort of the equality for everyone and to work together, you do now have a grievance against them. So it's a bit of a competing or not quite unified interests, right? You know, it's interesting. I can see how it looked like that. But Project Spearhead was actually started to spearhead the process of organizing the fighters. It wasn't meant to be um, adversarial or antagonistic at all. The idea was that we were having a hard time deciding um, or, or setting something up that all the fighters could get behind because there is so much confusion about should we be a union or should we be an organization? Because everyone agrees that, yes, we, we do need the fighters to come together 
so we can have a say in things other than just um, voicing similar opinions on Twitter. So Project Spearhead, the whole goal of Project Spearhead was to find out if we were employees or independent contractors by collecting authorization cards. And we were going to collect about 200 of those and submit them to the National Labor Relations Board as a showing of interest. And then they would decide if we were independent contractors or employees based on our situation. So when the UFC took the um, steps to release me, it actually just sped up the timeline for everything. And we already have a federal office agreeing that we're um, statutory employees, whereas before I would have needed to get all of the cards in the first place just to get a federal office to chime in and give their opinion. I, I see. So even if you had gotten all those authorization cards that you needed, you could have collected them, dropped them off in Philly or wherever, whatever the, one of the offices was, and they could have said, yeah, no, there's nothing here. They could have done that. It was a possibility. It could have happened. They could have said, nope, we don't think that you qualify as employees and you guys just need to do your own thing. All right. So that takes me back to Project Spearhead for just a second, if I may. You guys are out there really promoting this cause. I've had you on my show a number of times. We talked about it at length. I think it's the right thing. Nevertheless, how is the effort going? One wonders, is this new effort with the grievance claim a consequence of some kind of are you pursuing that because things with Project Spearhead are not going well or they're just going along fine and this is a, a new track to also pursue your 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 ends? Well, I've actually gotten some fighter support, um, but the cards have, I feel like the reason that we needed to file was because the UFC cutting me the way that they did and how vocal I've been about fighters' rights was that it effectively silenced um, silenced all the conversation about fighter rights and about bringing the fighters together and about unionizing. And it created a climate of fear. People didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to be promoting it. They were worried that they were going to get cut as well. And so this step with filing with the NLRB, um, one of the options could have been that they could have done injunctive relief where they would have reinstated me in the UFC in the idea that it would prove to the other fighters that they don't have to be scared of getting retaliated against um, if they stand up for fighters trying to organize. So they haven't chosen to do that, but these are all the steps that we needed to do in order to get the fighters back in a place where they understand that they can do this without risking their job. The project spirit is totally confidential we're still going to need those cards to get signed. And it's completely confidential. Not a single person, except for the ones who have spoken of it on their own, have been outed. Nobody knows who else has signed the cards, except for the people who have said, hey, I'm all about Project Spearhead. So that's totally confidential, but it's still an issue that fighters feel confident and secure in supporting it. What, what do you have, what are you now more hopeful about as a successful end for this? That this case will move through Philly and ultimately the various parties will rule in your favor or that the process you had started with Project Spearhead will see itself through? Well, see, that's interesting because there's a couple different ways that this could go. One of them is um, the UFC has the option to offer a settlement within the next month. and 
that could be interesting to see. Maybe as part of it, they're going to change some of their policies. Maybe they're going to say this is a big threat to our business model and we need to treat them like independent contractors. And then the fighters are going to get back all the freedoms that they had as independent contractors before before the supervision of USADA. Um, I mean, I, and I'm not against drug testing. I think it's an important thing. But I also think it's a very important thing that the fighters get a chance to weigh in on it. Same thing with the weight cuts. And um, but like the uniforms, there's there's just some different things that make us employees instead of independent contractors. So maybe the UFC is going to want to change those things so they can hold on to their business model the way that it is. Or maybe we're going to go ahead and all these steps are going to go through and the NLRB with this case is going to, it's just going to keep on going and we're going to get affirmed each time with our um, stance and then we're going to get the card signed with Project Spearhead and then we'll unionize and then we'll be able to sit down and collectively bargain for everything that the fighters deserve as employees. So it's kind of hard to say right now. And it's actually not even up to me. The whole point of everything is to do what's best for the fighters. And the only way to do what's best for the fighters is to ask them because they're the ones that know. So these steps are going right now. And then the next time that there's an option to go different directions in this path, then I'm going to reach out to all the fighters and say, what do you guys think? And what do you guys want? Because I'm not doing this for me. I'm not even in the UFC anymore. I'm doing this to advance the position of fighters. Yeah, I, I'll get back to Lucas in one second because I know there's been an update to this case and I want to get him to weigh in on it. But a lot of folks are saying, okay, we understand why you're involved in this, but you don't even, I mean, you do have skin in the game because you are a fighter and you care, but you're not in the UFC. So for, let, let's just go ahead and answer them whether or not they deserve to be, folks might be saying, well, she's just trying to get back in the UFC. She's trying to find a way to get involved again. Your modus operandi here is what? Why are you still so heavily involved in something where ultimately the outcome has directly anyway, very little impact on you? This is something that I feel very strongly about. You see all these people, my sister was just out protesting ICE, protesting all the kids being separated from their parents. Just because something isn't happening to me doesn't mean that it doesn't strongly affect me. And that's what we need to do. A lot of us are in different positions. Some of us are more privileged than others, and we need to use our positions not to make ourselves more comfortable necessarily, but to react to things around us with compassion and do what we think is right. The more education, the more knowledge, they say knowledge is power. And the more power that you have, then the more that you need to use that. Or not you, but right. you know, people in general. And so I feel like I'm in a position and I see a path for for creating a better future for fighters. And I I'm on a mission. That's that's what I want to do. Modern day Rosie the Riveter. Uh, Lucas, if I can go back to you for just a second. You have, uh, I think, been on Twitter and you've talked about this, and I believe it was reported by our own Mark Ramundi here at MMA Fighting. So you got the good news from Philly, but there's been one slight complication to the development in this case. What is that? Sure. So I mentioned previously that I received a call from Region 4 for early in the morning of Friday, and literally less than 24 hours, it was late Friday, I received a call from Region 4 saying, uh, hold on a minute. The Division of Advice in Washington, D.C. is demanding that the case first be sent through it prior to uh, a determination being made. Uh, and this, you know, to my first opinion of this, was this smack of uh, political string pulling uh, because the UFC was either shocked or unhappy with the determination that Region 4 
had made. And so now it will be sent through some bureaucratic red tape sent to D.C. And it, uh, my experience with advice, uh, uh, I dealt with uh, advice uh, on a charge against the major sports league uh, in 2010, uh, and it delays the process. It goes down to D.C., and the, the individuals that advise uh, review the case essentially from uh, you know, what the investigator in D.C. had put together. Uh, so I, I really believe this was uh, a political game playing and and, a, and simply just a delay tactic. And and we're gonna we're gonna put in a FOIA request for for any and all correspondence with Division of Advice as to as to how this decision came to be. And 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 I'm not gonna rule out filing a complaint with the officer of the Inspector General uh, as well, just to make sure that there was no uh, there was nothing unsavory behind the scenes. And this case is judged only on its merits and nothing else. Is there any way for the audience, the layperson, to understand, is this a significant obstacle, a partial obstacle? How big a deal is this? I, you know, it's not, it's not as giant of a deal as if someone had ruled against us. And, and we're still, you know, Leslie is still in the driver's seat. Region 4 has made its merit determination. Uh, their, their autonomy is being usurped a little. Uh, but like I said earlier, it's to, to me, it's it's a delay tactic. So it is going to waste time, and it's going to it's going to push a final determination potentially months down the road before a complaint now will ever be issued by the NLRB. Uh, and so it's frustrating, obviously, but uh, to, to me, it's it's delay and nothing more. That takes me back to you, Miss Smith. So what is your fighting future? You have been out here fighting for fighter rights and being a, uh, a very vocal and prominent advocate, more so really than anyone else in the space. But what about you returning to the cage? And I wonder, have all of your efforts at getting fighters a seat at the table, has it soured other Im and other promoters from potentially offering you a, a contract? I sure hope not. I think that my fighting pedigree speaks for itself. And I think that my ability to come out and entertain and put on a great show for any any fight that I've been a part of um, should make people want to have me a whole lot. I just had an awesome weekend. I told you that Friday was the best day ever. It was yes. because I woke up in the morning with this news. Lucas was calling me about this news. And then in the evening, I got to watch my teammate, Carrie Melendez, win her second pro fight at Bellator. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but it was awesome. She dropped her with a straight right, and then she got a rear naked choke on her. It was really cool. <laughs> and I spent the whole weekend being out there with Bellator and watching all of this and seeing the way that they operate. And it was really nice to see that they operate. I'm going to work on trying to speak to Scott Coker and see if I can get something going on over there. I just like the way that they have a nice family feel. They... Um, they let the fighters do their own sponsorships, which is a lot more money for the fighters. And um, I want to fight again. I feel like I'm in the prime of my career. I feel like my last couple fights have been the best fights that I've ever had in training. I'm understanding more than I ever have. I feel like I got over a hump in my development as a fighter, and I would really like to get the chance to go back out there and show it. I don't want to compromise my position with the fighter's rights thing, but I don't think that anything that I could do at this point would compromise that. Before we go, if folks want more information about this case and what you're up to, what's the best place to get that? Two great places. One, if you want Project Spearhead, following Project Spearhead on Twitter and Lucas Middlebrook on Twitter. They give great information all the time. 
I give a lot of information and I also give information about my fighting career. So following me is an option too. All right. Well, there you have it. Lucas, thank you for your time today and your uh, great advocacy as well as you, Leslie. I really appreciate you talking with us and spending some time with us here in the MMA Hour. And uh, we'll be following this case and the push for Project Spearhead. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck. Thank you so much today. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. All right. So we go from uh, this. Well, we had two Smiths on. Now we have to go to, well, oh, not a Smith. I have a terrible setup for this. I don't know what else to say. Uh, joining us now, I believe he is going to be the first champion on this iteration of the show, which we are uh, honored to have. He'll be facing Rory McDonald in September on uh, one of the biggest cards Bellator's ever put together. You know him, you love him, the one and only Gegard Mousasi. Gegard, are you there, my friend? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Ah, we have him on phone. Very good. Ah. Where are you, Gegard? Are you back in Amsterdam? Are you back in Holland, rather? Yeah, yeah I'm in Holland. Uh, I'm coming back to L.A. soon. Uh, and after that, there's a uh, training camp. So your training camp's not going to be in Holland? Uh, yes, yeah, it's going to be in Holland, but uh, I'm going to take a small holiday in the U.S. and then really? uh, come back to sport training camp. You're going to vacation in L.A.? Why L.A. of all places? I like the food. I have friends there. It's, uh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I like U.S. All right, so I'm glad to hear, uh, Gegard. So thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Let, let me, uh, let, let's ask about this fight. Let me play devil's advocate, if I may, for just a second, which is that it, it's an interesting fight, champion versus champion. I totally understand it. But you have someone in Rory who's very well-rounded. You have someone like you who's also really well-rounded. The real only difference there would be the weight, which would not necessarily make it a bad fight, but one where the outcome was easy to predict. So what do you make of that claim? Well, weight doesn't make you a winner. He has determination. Uh, he has a lot of heart. Uh, so the size, he's a big welterweight. Actually, the size won't be a lot of factor, but, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be, be a, a little bit part of, but uh, it's not going to be everything, you know? So it's not just the size or the reach, uh, but uh, it's all, uh, at the end, it's all advantages for me, but uh, that's not going to decide who the winner going to be. Uh I think if I come in shape, uh, if I come uh, prepared uh, like the last fight, and uh, I should be good to win the fight. So when they offered you this fight, you were interested right away? You had no hesitation? Well, at first, uh, they, they said, uh, we need you for a press conference in New York. Uh, they didn't say who I was fighting or who, who else would be on press conference because they were afraid that uh, the news would be leaking. and uh, But, uh, yeah, the Errol Hawani leaked it anyway, so he ruined the surprise. <laughs> so I didn't know actually what I was fighting till, until one week before I was going to New York. Uh, so, But uh, then we knew it was Rory McDonald. And, uh, of course, we said in the media 100 times we want to fight him, so that was going back. So wait, do you mind... Do you, uh, okay, I've talked to a number of Bellator fighters, and they all say the same thing, that they didn't know who they were fighting. Do you like doing business this way? No, it was only for this time uh, that they didn't uh, say who I was fighting because they wanted to be uh, surprised, and I think they didn't have a, I didn't have a good reputation of keeping a secret, so I understand that. <laughs> You're bad at keeping secrets? What kind of secrets have you told before? No, no, no. The, uh, the contract negotiation. I don't uh, know. Some reporter had contacted Scott, and uh, 
So I think they were just being careful. So I have no problems. Everything is fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, you're going to be competing on a really interesting platform, the Dazone platform, or however you want to call it. It's going to be an incredible card. I wonder what you make of, for you, I know as a fighter, you're really probably just focused on the task at hand, but somebody in your position who is making decisions about biggest fights, biggest audiences, what do you make of competing on a streaming platform for the first time? Uh, you know, like I said, uh, uh, I worked with Scott before. I like to grow with the company. Uh, any way I can help or uh, put on a good fight, uh, you know, I'm happy to do it. And uh, this uh, because uh, no one is really watching TV anymore, so slowly everything is going to... Uh, did we lose him? I think we lost him. Did we lose him in the back, Danny? Yes, no? Yeah, okay. We're going to try and reconnect him. This happens to me in my radio show all the time. I'm actually a pro at this. <laughs> I am so used to this happening. Fighters will call you, like they'll be driving through. I don't, I don't know what he's doing up to uh, the moment right now in, in Holland, but uh, I'll get guys driving through like the middle of nowhere in, in America, and the call just drops. We should get them back there hopefully here pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I'm curious about that Dazen thing, right? It's interesting because on the one hand, it's like I think he's right. I cut the cord. I've talked about cutting the cord a lot. I don't have any hesitation about it. I don't miss it at all. I have everything I need. And at the same time, it's like I still feel like there's still a lot of people who have cable packages. There's still a lot of people who can get a, a big audience going on TV. But is it the right one on Paramount? You know, you just never really know. So I wonder how fighters who are like, yeah, I'm at the sort of, Gagard is at the, what I won't say the peak, well, maybe the peak of his powers from a leverage standpoint. He's now the champion. He's got this uh, big opportunity. It's this big card. They're trying to make a big splash. It's sort of all these things. And you got to wonder, if you're going to be on a streaming platform for like the first time, who wants to be that loss leader up front, right? Someone, someone has to, is it falling on a sword? Maybe not for the first time because you can sign up for free for the first 30 days. But you got to wonder what the level of enthusiasm is. It sometimes these guys, when you would talk to them, be like, "Yeah, I'm kind of fighting on Fight Pass. I'm not sure how great that is." You had Brian Caraway, a ranked guy fighting on Fight Pass. He was bitter about it at the time, I think, understandably. Um, so you have to always kind of wonder, like in the back of your mind, what's the situation with that, right? We'll have to see. Uh, it's the same point I made about the Rory fight before this, by the way. It's like if you ask me, "Are you interested in this fight?" The answer is, of course. If you have two guys that talented, how could you not be? be foolish to say that you weren't interested but at the same time you're just sort of asking yourself well hold on a second you got a guy in rory who can do basically everything for the most part right and you got a guy in musasi who can do basically everything for the most part not that their skill sets are identical but that if they share a commonality it's that they're both uh, universally quite good at everything speaking of which i believe we have this gentleman back mr musasi are you back the moose is back, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, hey, yeah. we were talking. To, I was uh, I was killing time waiting for you, Mr. Musasi. Let's uh, let's talk yeah, about. Uh, yeah. You heard it, yeah. Let's talk about Rory one more time. Do you think he's taken too much damage in his career? Uh, not really. I don't know. He's, uh, he has a two, three, three hard fights. So, you know, the guy fights. Uh, so that's the problem. Uh, I was actually, I thought, well, it's a winnable fight. 
And then uh, I went and watched his fights against Robbie Lawler and uh, some other fights. And I was like, okay, I have a fight on my hands. And uh, I'm not looking forward to go uh, five rounds and bang it out and get damaged. So it's not a good fight. Uh, but uh, if, I, if I'm the more, you know, I'm going to be the more technical guy. I'm not going to go brawl and fight who's who's a better slugger. And uh, so I'm going to make it uh, as technical possible and uh, even take him down and finish him there. And getting back to the original question, you were cut off in the portion of answering it. But speak, speaking about competing on this streaming platform, it's a huge card. It's a huge moment for Bellator. But nevertheless, I sort of wonder about your feelings uh, on this new and interesting and uh, unexplored territory. Well, I guess uh, the business side, I don't know. But, uh, like, uh, no one is really watching TV anymore. It's going more uh, digital. Uh, and it's more uh, people watch their stuff on their iPhone or their, on their laptop. So it's going that direction. And uh, to kick it off with this fight card uh, with Clinton Jackson, Vandalay, and the Welterweight Tournament, and Amiya Kastori, you know, uh, you know, it shows that uh, Bellator has confidence in me. And... Uh, to headline and uh, be the opening for the for the new for the new deal that they're having. So, obviously, uh, I should do my job and uh, have a good and, uh, good performance and uh, finish for Is it fair to say you don't care where your fight is shown? In other words, if you get the right fight on the biggest card, do you not really care at that point? Well, I get paid. I get paid anyway. <laughs> At the end of the day, if I keep winning my fights, uh, my contract will go up. If it's on, uh, if it's on pay-per-view or on uh, Netflix, I don't care. It's, it's the same. But, Do you uh, have? Like I said, for me, for me, I care a little, yeah, a little bit because, like I said, I wanna, I want Bellator to grow. I wanna be a part of that, and uh, I have a great relationship with Scott. So, yeah, then I care about how where the company is going, of course. So you're the Bellator middleweight champ. You earned that designation recently, but there are a lot of folks wondering who is the best middleweight on the planet. Do you consider yourself to be the best middleweight in MMA right now? No, I've, no, I don't. I don't consider myself the best. Uh, I know I can win from the best uh, on a, any given day. I can beat a, one of the best fighters. Uh, it's not my goal to be the best fighter. I just my goal is to win my fights, earn some uh, pocket money, and uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I don't want to consider even mentioned in that category because oh my god, people are gonna give me a lot of crap about that. Uh, the haters. So I rather just uh, do my job, and uh, I don't care about that. You know. I don't feel like you have that many haters. Do you have a lot of haters? Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that always. I don't know. They always mention that I lost to Uriah Hall or that I lost to Jockery. I don't know. Uh, they don't say that I also got wins over them. Uh, they always go in the past and say, well, he lost to this guy or that guy. You know, I'm not the same guy anymore. I'm a different fighter. Uh, I'm in my prime. Uh, people are not anymore on steroids. I'm going to beat the shit out of them. It's easier as that. So let's let's talk about that. I want to push back, if I may, just a little bit respectfully, uh, Gegard. You mentioned uh, Machida. It's it's your belief uh, that he w used performance enhancing drugs during his run in the UFC, 100%, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent, and everyone that's saying uh, I'm a bad loser, they can suck it. Uh, if a robbery comes uh, into their house and they uh, rob them with a knife, uh, I'm gonna say they're pussies because uh, 
they didn't fight back. So, you know, was, uh, people are idiots. And uh, the first thing, uh, I didn't say, he was slippery as fuck. You know what, people don't, you, you put oil on your body the next, uh, one day before, the next day you sweat it out. And the oil, you're slippery as fuck. And uh, I'm not only saying that. You can uh, go and uh, ask uh, Luke Rocco. He said he was slippery too. And with me, he went five rounds, so he was sweating very... I was watching the video back. I was chimney uh, down on his uh, back when I had his back. Uh, you know what? And then uh, he was shiny as fuck. And then uh, he had a six-pack, like a 15-year-old virgin boy. And then I saw his last fight with Fido Belfort. He was fat as fuck. So uh, I'm not... It's just, uh, you know, what, what you can see, you can see. You know, you're not blind. Go watch the fight. Uh, it's easily, you can see, where is his six-pack? He had six-pack a couple of months ago. It's gone, or a couple of years ago. Since Usada came, he doesn't have that anymore. You know, girl, come on. It's just physics. You can see it. I'm not... Yeah. Uh, so, whatever. Whatever. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to talk about that, because people always say you're a bad loser. I'm not saying I'm a bad loser. I'm saying I fought people that were on steroids. You dumb motherfuckers. What can you understand about that? Well, are you open to a rematch with him? Rematch 100%. And if we, if we have a rematch, it should be tested the, the same as you saw that blood and urine because uh, he's a cheater. 100% he's a cheater. Okay, but here's my point. If you wanted to go, if you were worried about the opponents who were doing these kinds of things, then certainly I, I'm not opposed to Bellator having a system that is outside USADA. In fact, I actually think it's a good idea. But I'm wondering if you're if you're worried about a fighter even with USADA, wouldn't you be even more worried about a situation that's technically less testing than that? Uh, well, they're testing the Bellator fighters. I got surprise tested at my house uh, a couple of times. So it's not that uh, they even tested uh, uh, Crow Cup. But uh, I want to have, a, you know, uh, the same way. Uh, the commission is doing a great job. Uh, so, so far, everything has been good. But uh, I think with uh, Mashida, they should do extra testing, and especially also blood, uh, because I don't trust that guy. Last thing about Machida, and I promise we'll move on. Just to play devil's advocate again, if I may, the substance he tested positive for, you can buy. Uh, not even tested positive for, actually. He just wrote that he took it. Um, yeah, that was, uh, when I fought him, that was before USADA. People have to understand that. After USADA, he's been caught for some shitty, stupid shit. Uh, I don't consider that uh, as being uh, But listen, uh, his uh, buddy, uh, Anderson Silva, he, he knew he was getting tested. He's got caught twice for steroids. So, listen, Brazilians have a reputation on being on steroids. Uh, I'm a, that's, you know, that's, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's the truth. So, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah, uh, I was just, I was just referring to the thing that, that he, the thing that he got in trouble for is, is not a big deal. What, what, maybe you believe that other yeah, yeah, things were happening, but. Yeah, yeah, like what I said before USADA, I felt yeah. he was he did something before my fight. And then afterwards, of course, he knows he's going to get tested. He's not going to do the same shit but that he was using before. And uh, I'm just wondering, where is this six-pack? People can go and watch the video. Look at Fito Belfort fight uh, when he was fighting Fito. He had a chubby belly. He still has to cut that weight 
he still has to make that weight. So uh, when you lose all that weight, you're going to be muscular. But he wasn't muscular this time. I have no inside information, Gigard, but I'm wondering, hypothetically speaking, would you be upset if Bellator signed Vitor Belfort? Uh, you seen pictures of Vitor Belfort? He looks uh, jacked again. <laughs> I, I actually have not. I've been told that, but I haven't seen him. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, uh, listen Vitor Belfort on TRT was uh, knocking everyone out. After without TRT, he was losing to everyone. So uh, the problem with uh, you know enhancing drugs is uh, you have all these years of experience, uh, and then you have, you do the enhancing drugs, and then you have the physical abilities of a twenty-year-old, and then maybe even better because you overdo the testosterone levels. So yeah, you're gonna have advantages. So yeah, but. Listen, uh, a fair game uh, gameplay, uh, that's all I'm asking for. Uh, whatever, you know. Uh, if they allow uh, everyone to use steroids, uh, then sure, no problem. I'm going to use something and then uh, whoever has the better doctor. But that's not the case. Fair enough. Uh, but we appreciate your time here, Gigard. Hey, uh, are you watching at all the World Cup? I know you and I are the world's biggest soccer fans. Uh, not so much. Holland is not playing, and then I was hoping to that Germany would win, but uh, they're out. So uh, there's no any team that I'm really rooting for. Now you and I have talked about this a number of times. As the world may not know this, but Gigard Musasi is the world's biggest Real Madrid fan. Is that is that not correct, Mr. Musasi? <laughs> That's not correct. I don't like Ronaldo. I do not like him. Uh, you know, I I rather watch Messi play. What? Um, he's a little bit cocky, Ronaldo, I feel. <laughs> Aren't fighters a little bit cocky? Uh, yeah, but he's too much like a girly girl. He's, he, he wants always the attention on him. You know, I don't like uh, fighters that uh, are horny out for the media. You know what I mean? i tell you what I'm going to do. The next time you come to New York, we have to get you in studio. I'm going to have you your very own... It'll have Musasi on the back jersey yeah. from Real Madrid because here's the truth. You have acknowledged this before. They're the prettiest jerseys in soccer, are they not? Yeah, yeah. It's blue, my color. <laughs> so we bought, I have the shirt of uh, Real Madrid, but it was just because it's blue and it looked good on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. We really appreciate your time, Gigard. Uh, can't wait to see you. Enjoy your vacation in L.A. Uh but uh, I guess we'll see you uh, before your fight in September. Thank you so much. For sure. Thank you, All my right. friend. There see he goes. Bye-bye. Yes. By the way, he is a giant Real Madrid fan. Don't, don't let him fool you uh, at all. All right. We are just bouncing from one guest to the next. Joining us now through Skype, this man was out there hog hunting. My Lord. If you follow him on uh, Instagram. And he's now going to be out there hunting something else when he's in the main event in UFC Lincoln against Justin Gaethje, UFC lightweight. James Vick joins the show. Hi, James. How are you? What's up, man? I'm good. Glad to be on. Hey, James. How was the hog hunting? Are you, uh, like, what do you hunt when you hunt? Like, do you have, like, certain animals you hunt and don't? Um, yeah. I, uh, well, it's right now, there's, it's, there, for hogs, it's the only thing I can shoot right now. Um, besides, like, coyotes and stuff like that, it's, um, there, you know, it's not deer season. It's not duck season. It's not turkey season. There's no season for hogs in Texas. Um, 
there's there's they're uh, basically an invasive species and they just kill thousands of uh, millions of dollars of crops and there's no season no limit you can shoot 30 of them a night if you wanted to um it's just uh you, you just go out there and you know uh, in the summertime and when i when off season from deer and season everything i just hog on all the time well uh, it was incredible to watch by the way what weapon were you using i noticed it had a magazine loaded into it i'd never seen that for hunting usually you have bolt action or some other kind of shooting rifle you were out there just spraying the block it's called a six six point five Grendel, and it's um uh it's it's AR AR fifteen, and it, it holds a thirty round clip. But it's not it's a semi automatic, so it's obviously not like a like a military style rifle. You know, it's right. it's they're not it's a semi automatic, and a lot of most a lot of uh, wild hog hunters and stuff use them up here in Texas because I mean, there's people up here in Texas that's their full time job. They're hog eradicators. They get paid to go shoot wild pigs off of farmers' crops, and that's their full time job. So um. It's pretty popular to have a night vision, uh, a thermal thermal night vision scope on it also from a, one of my sponsors, Pulsar. All right, let's get to your fight. I, I could talk about hunting all day. I used to be a hunter, not anymore, but um, I, I am uh, very curious to talk about this fight coming up for you. UFC Lincoln, you're now in the main event, taking on Justin Gaethje. Isn't life funny? We talked, uh, I think, before your Joe Duffy fight, and you were so frustrated, you just couldn't get an opportunity. Here we are, a little over a year and a half later or so, something like that. And dude, this is it. This is the big one, but it came sort of by accident. What are your emotions now that you it appears to be on the precipice of the very thing you've been waiting for? It's um, uh, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. I'm like a little kid. I'm getting this opportunity. It's against a guy I really don't, you know, I really don't care for. You know, he's a, he's a clown in my mind, and I'm. Uh, it's 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 a great opportunity for me, and I you know, the moment they call me, I you know I accept the fight. You know I said yes, I'll take it 100. percent I feel blessed to be where I'm at, and I feel like it's um it's this is my you know this is my destiny to win this fight and go on to move to bigger things and become a world champion. And I feel like this is you know this is just all part of the process the, the way it was supposed to happen. Why don't you like Justin Gaethje? He seems from look from the media standpoint, he seems uh. Quite friendly and has a fan friendly style. What 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 is what is your issue with, with him? I don't. It's not that I dislike the guys. Just we have a history of, of talking trash to each other, you know. Because mm. basically, um, it all started back last year when he won his UFC debut. You know, he obviously you gotta nowadays you have to you have to close mouths don't get fed. You gotta you gotta talk some shit. You gotta say some stuff to get fights. And the dude gets on the microphone and after he wins and says, "Who's my equal?" So of course, you know, I run up to I'm I'm sitting there uh, cage side at the uh, international fight week. I run up to uh, the to Sean Shelby. I said I want that fight, and then I went. So I went on Twitter and I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll knock this motherfucker out." And then from there, he started talking shit. And then I went back, and we've been going at it off and on for like a year. And then he brought me up in some interview on the MMA Junkie before, you know, uh, talking some shit. So we, we've just been going back at it for about a year now. Where do you think he is in his career? I mean, I think for him, for him to be where he's at, I think he's doing a good job because honestly, I don't think he's a world-class fighter. I don't. I think the guy padded his records against B-level competition in the UFC, and I think, I mean, against UFC competition outside of the UFC. And now that he's came over, he's been exposed. He's been beat. Um, uh, he's been knocked out. He has world-class heart. He's a, he's a warrior. He's he's not a punk. You know, he's a, this dude's a, a warrior. I understand why he's a fan favorite. I I get why 
why um why fans love him so much. I mean, I like watching the fight. The dude's exciting, you know, but he's you know, he's a tough guy, but I have all those attributes too. You know, I can if you think that that I can't bite down on my mouthpiece mouthpiece and throw leather and sit there and, and you know, tough it out, just win like that. I don't have to fight like that because I have a skill set. And he um I think he lacks that. He has world class heart, world class um um grit in him, but he doesn't have world class skill set and, and I think he's gonna be exposed. And I don't I just don't think he's a I don't even think he's a top ten fighter in the UFC to be honest with you. What would you say his beyond uh, his toughness and durability and willingness to exchange? Just speaking to his actual technical skills, what do you think he's good at? I mean, he has he has good low kicks. He he's he he throws them fast, and he he's not really worried about getting them checked. He'll just throw them caution to the wind. He really don't even set a lot of them up that much. He just throws them, you know. And I'm uh, so I'm assuming he conditions his shins, you know, really hard to be prepared if he gets checked and stuff like that. And I'm. Uh, he seems like he has decent power, nothing great, but decent power. Um, but I think besides the fact that he's just a tough guy with hearts, um, uh, you know, in a good chin, you know, that that's about it. You, I'm sure you've seen now the Alvarez and Poirier fights. When you look at those, what is your takeaway in terms of the responsibilities you have that you need to keep in the fight to beat him? Well, first off, I feel like um, I'm going to hurt him faster than a lot of those guys did. I think I'm going to hurt him quicker. I'm uh, I'm taller. It's going to be harder for him to get in on me. So when he comes in, he's really going to get lit up. Um, I think he caught them early. They didn't they didn't move quick enough to get out of the way of some leg kicks, or they didn't check them. They should have just come out immediately and tried to check first two or three, or just stepped off. And instead, they tried to you know meet fire with fire uh, a little too early, and then they were shook up a little bit from the low kicks. Um, and then from there, they kind of just had to bite down and they bit down on their mouthpieces. And, and, you know, they basically showed they had more will than him also. You know, I'm, uh, I mean, he, he's a tough dude and has will, too. But, he, you know, there's plenty of us in the UFC that have that. They, they showed it as well. So why does he have such a reputation for it? I mean, if your point is correct, and I think there is something to it that lots of guys have strong will. Why is he, in your judgment, the flag bearer for it? Why is he the guy that is just known for it? Because he fights that way every fight. And this is what people don't understand is, is th the reason why he fights like this. And I'm, I'm really not trying to discredit him. I'm, I'm really not. I, I'm, I mean this when I say this, even though I really, you know, me and him have, have our personal issues, but the guy, he fights the way he fights because he has no choice. He's, he has short, short, uh, short reach. He's not very fast. He's not that athletic. He, he fights with the attributes he has. The only way he can win is is to bite down his mouthpiece and break people and stuff. He 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 throws tons of low kicks because he's really hardly even flexible enough to throw high kicks. He he doesn't have a lot of attributes, so he 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 does he's did great with what he has. So he has no choice but to fight those ways. A lot of us that do have grit and toughness, just like just like he does, we have other options, you know. So why would I? I can I can put a show on for the fans and not get beat in my head for three rounds. I can just go out there and knock somebody out. Now, granted, my last fight was, 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 wasn't maybe as exciting as people wanted it to. But before that, I highlight real three people in a row. So, um, uh, you know, I can, I can put on exciting fights without taking beatings, you know. Um, he, he can't. He has to take a beating. If not, he's never going to have a chance to win. Hmm. Now, James, where does this put you? Currently, the rankings, for whatever they're worth, but they do exist. He's sitting at seven. You're currently uh, positioned at 11. Now, obviously, if you win, you would jump in the rankings. But I'm wondering, positionally, where do you think that would put you inside the division? That's still at the top, a little bit uncertain. I'm hoping uh, uh, it puts me right there to five, to 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 um uh, right right there, probably you know, saying like number six, definitely number seven. You know, hopefully after I beat him, you know, I take his spot. But uh, hopefully, you know, around number six in the world is is the plan. 
So that would put you, what, in position for a fight with someone like Kevin Lee after that? I want to get ahead of it. I realize you have a big fight, but that's kind of the space you're thinking of? I mean, I, here's the thing is, is, is after I'm, well, yeah, fuck Kevin Lee, you know, I, he's turned down two fights with me and I've been calling this guy for two years. So the only way I'm fighting Kevin Lee is two reasons. If it's going to be a main event or I'm not taking the fight and they're going to have to give me more money because how many times do I have to fucking call this guy out? You know, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm tired of, I feel like I'm, I'm being desperate begging to fight this guy for two years now. And he continues to turn down fights. Same thing with him and Kiesa. Fuck them. Their ship has sailed. How many times do I have to call someone out until it's a joke anymore? You know, until like what happened to the dignity of a man, uh, you know, at least Gaethje has some dignity. They asked him to fight me on basically two hours notice on Wednesday night. He took the fight and I took the fight. Um, uh, these guys have no dignity as a fucking man and as a fighter to, to fight people. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I'll fight them, but I, I'm, I'm going to get some incentive for it because, uh, you know, I've been trying to fight the guy. Um, uh, yeah, I would love to fight the winner of Poirier Pettis. Uh, I mean, uh, Poirier Gaethje or not Gaethje, Poirier and, and Eddie Alvarez. Or um, uh, maybe I would like to get the uh, uh, maybe I'd like to fight Tony Ferguson when he comes back after the, after I win this fight. I, I'm ten and one in the UFC. The only two guys in my division that have a better record than me is is Tony Ferguson, who's thirteen and one, and Khabib, who's ten and zero because he's never lost. So they're the only two guys in the division that have a better record than I do in the U UFC record. So you know why can't I fight Tony Ferguson when he comes back off off injury? Probably at the end or beginning of the year. So what about the idea that when I interviewed you again, I think it was uh, about about a year and a half ago, you were like, I can't get these guys inside the top 10 to give me a shot. Do you feel a responsibility to give guys ranked below you an opportunity? Uh, maybe at some point, but right now, how many guys do, rank below me do I have to fight? You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. nine and one. If I was five and oh in the UFC, like there's three guys or four. Actually, there's four or five guys in the UFC right now that are five and oh. I get it. That they, they deserve chances in the top 15. I understand that. But I've also, after I win this fight, I have double the wins in the organization they have. How many of these guys, do, if I was 25 years old, I'd fight everybody, anybody. Just like Darren Till, you know, he gets on the mic and he says, you know, I want to fight them all. Because he's 25, I'm 31 years old, man. My goal is to be a world champion. I couldn't get the UFC to promote me when I was 27 or 28 years old and I was 5-0 in the UFC. How the hell am I going to get them to promote me now when, if, if I'm 32 years from now, I'm 30, 32, 33 years old, still fighting dudes, you know, right below me, you know? So um, I feel like I've earned this opportunity. It's not like I'm a I'm a two or two and two or three and oh guy in the UFC begging for the for a top five guy. After I win this fight, I'm a ten and one guy in the UFC with only two guys. The only way I'm accepting a fight with someone ranked below me after this is is if I get a main event spot. If I get a main event spot, then, then we'll talk about it. But but it's it, it's not worth I mean, how how many more dues do I have to pay? You know what I'm saying? Everyone's like, Oh, your your time will come. Well, how, when is my damn time coming? I'm six years deep in the UFC and after this fight I'm ten and one. Hmm. Uh, by the way, how are you spreading your camp? I know you were recently in my neck of the woods in uh, Camp Springs, Maryland, just outside D.C., and now you're, I saw you were hog hunting, so you're obviously not there. How is your camp split for this one? Yeah, um, well, they, so they called me on Wednesday night to take the fight, so I had to leave the first flight the next morning to go to Lincoln, Nebraska to, to film the film uh, and, or do, to do some interviews and media tour stuff, right? So then I had them fly me home straight from from the, from Nebraska here to Texas, and I'm gonna stay here for about ten days till next Monday, and then I'm gonna go stay here for about eight or ten, nine or ten days, and then I'm gonna go back to Maryland and finish the last six weeks there because I'm in shape. I'm you know I've been I've been in camp, you know, so uh, it's not like you know, and I'm training here. I already trained. Um, I already trained today, and I'm training again in a few more hours. So I'm doing two days here as well. 
What do you make of Paul Felder, who was your original opponent, now facing Mike Perry up a weight class? Certainly you can understand his frustration. He had one fight fall out and then another one, one he was supposed to take with you. I think we could all understand, hey, if someone got a main event slot, you're going to take that. No, no issue there. But I'm wondering what you make of Paul Felder versus Mike Perry. Short notice, up a weight class. It's an interesting one, right? Yeah, I felt, you know, I felt bad pulling out of the fight I did for Felder because, I mean, it, I get, I get his frustration, you know, cause I, I've been, I've been, been frustrated. Of course he would have did the same thing, you know, with the main event. I think he understands that and everything. And I think that, um, I think Felder's got a great chance to win this fight against Perry. I really do because I don't think Mike Perry's way bigger than Paul Felder. I think he's maybe a little bit bigger, but I, my, uh, Paul Felder has a really good chin he, and he's, it's really not short notice. It's, it's one week compared to what he was fighting the week after. And he don't have to cut all the weights. So He's probably, you know, uh, he's going to have an easier cut to 170 because he was probably already coming down, you know, pretty cl decently close to that already. And um, uh, it's only one week, one week earlier than what he what he was already going to fight anyway. So I think so he basically had a full camp. So I think, you know, I, I, honestly, I think Paul Felder has a great chance to win this fight stylistically. Uh, fair to say now you have enough time to implement any kind of game plan change, but different game plan for Paul Felder versus Justin Gaethje, correct? Yeah, but not a lot. I mean, uh, they're very similar. They're both orthodox fighters. They're both they both were gonna try to low kick me a lot and use Muay Thai. And um, they're both kind of flat footed fighters. You know, flat footed Muay Thai fighters. Justin Gaethje um, throws more caution to the wind. He's gonna come harder with more pressure. With, and Paul Felder has better defense. You know, um, which means basically means Justin Gaethje's just gonna get hit more. You know, he's he's gonna get hit more. And um, uh. So it's, I mean, I, this fight ain't going five rounds. You know, we're not going to go five rounds. Um, uh, hit the way he fights. It's either, um, he's going to break me, which is definitely not going to happen. I, you know, I have more will than he does and, um, or I'm going to catch him cause he's, you know, I'm a lot of these guys I fight, I hit them and they, they stay on the outside and then they try to figure out, you know, a way to come back in. Gaethje's just going to come straight in and just take damage. And, um, I'm going to land something big and I'm going to knock him out. If you win this fair to say, this would be the signature win to, to date on your career. Yeah, for for sure. Just because it's you know it's a main event spot against a guy ranked above me. Um, uh, I don't necessarily think he's the best opponent I fought, but um, uh, you know he has the biggest name. So yeah, it's it's definitely the biggest fight of my career. Who do you who do you think is better than him that you fought? I mean, I think several guys are better than him. Honestly, I, I mean, I don't think Justin Gaethje's a world class fighter. I don't. I think he has world class heart. He's a dog. He's a warrior. But this dude's skill set ain't world class. He, he and he's seeing that when you know uh, he's seeing that when he's coming to the UFC. He padded his record against B level competition outside of the organization, and then he comes in and now he's one and two in the UFC. Um, uh, I mean, I think I fought several people. I think Joe Duffy was better than him. I think Ronaldo's a tougher a tougher fighter than, than Gaethje is. You know, um, uh, I think that um, uh, I think you know one of my tougher fights was actually my second fight um, against a dude who kind of got. Uh, I felt like I screwed over from the UFC. Um, uh, uh, Valmir Lazaro, if you remember that fight. I mean, that mm -hmm. guy was a dog. He was a warrior. And he lost to me, and then he won one, and then he lost to, um, what's his name, Michael, uh, the dude who missed weight, like the lightweight that missed weight like five times, so they moved him up. <laughs> my, uh, my, the, my, the, my, man, the, little, the, little, the little tank Brazilian guy. Michael Prezer. Oh, Prezerish, uh, Prezerish. Yeah, so he lost, he lost a split decision to him, and he, he stuffed that 13 of that 14 guys taking us. I think he was a tougher fight. He, I think he, the guy, you know, he basically lost to us two. And, you know, uh, 
I think I fought, you know, at least three guys that are tougher than Gaethje or, or, or better fighters. You know, but he definitely fought several of them more skilled wise. He has a lot of heart. I'll give him that. But there's a lot of people in the UFC that have a lot of heart. They just don't have to fight like that because they have more attributes than he does. Well, James, uh, you have uh, I was already interested in this fight. You have certainly increased my interest. I cannot wait for this Lincoln, Nebraska card. And it's a big fight for you. It's an opportunity I know you've been waiting for. So I'm glad to see you finally got it. Uh, good luck with the hog hunting and everything else. Appreciate your time today. Can't wait to see uh, the the main event. Oh, there's a little one behind you too. Uh, <laughs> Who's that? His mom. Yeah, that's my son. He's he's uh, uh, this this next or this week he's gonna be three months old. That's James Junior right there. We can't see him. Put it all there. It is. Look at that little guy. Well, I can see his head now. He is he's very well. Hi, James Junior. Can you put the camera down a little bit? Put it down. Okay, put yeah. him up there. There he is. Well, not even. I can see. <laughs> I can see the top of his head. That's it. Okay. Uh, the, uh, there. You know what? He's got a cute set of eyes. We got. We got to get moving, James. But I gotta say, you have a you have a cute little one. That was really nice to see him behind you. Take good care of him. I know you will. Take good care of yourself. Can't wait for that uh, Lincoln Nebraska fight. Thank you so much, James. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah. There he goes. All right. That was fun. All right. Enough with the guests. Now it's the portion of the show where you are our guest, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for the sound off. As is customary with the sound off, we go to our friend in the back, Mr. I Hate Peanut Butter. What an absolutely lame opinion that was. By the way, I asked my wife about that. I was like, did you hate peanut butter? You know, her answer was, because she came to this country in the way that you did. Yeah. She said when she first came here, yes, she did hate peanut butter, but she's not a, a Visigoth uh, who drags her knuckles across the ground. She learned, like most people do who don't have the palate of a toddler, that peanut butter is delicioso. Okay? Look, I'll, I'll eat peanut butter, but it's not good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm glad to hear it. Hey, how were the calls this week? They were pretty good. We got some mouth breathing we got, we got it all. Okay. Well, set this up for me, please. Let's get this going. We have no right. time to waste. So we got a big weekend ahead, so let's start off with some UFC. All right. Hey, Luke. This is Chris from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm curious, what do you think is least likely to happen? Max Holloway submitting Ortega or DC knocking out Stipe? Simplify. Simplify, do or die. Um, love the pink mist, blood makes the grass grow, all that good stuff. I would say the answer there, Chris, appreciate the call. Appreciate people who, by the way, give their name and town, name and town. That's big. Yeah. And of course that number, of course, 844-866-2468. I would say, uh, least likely to happen would be Max submitting, uh, Brian. I, I thought when Mark Bocek fought Mac Danzig back in the day, do you remember that fight? For you guys who don't know, Mark Bocek's literally one of the best Canadian grapplers ever. And much better on the ground, pure ground skills than Mac Danzig. But Mac Danzig gave him one of these, and then the submission came a lot quicker. So I could see it under those scenarios. But DC throwing hands and then finding a chance to catch Stipe, however likely or unlikely one may find, that to me would be a little bit easier to imagine than Max beating. I could see him. I could see any outcome, but it would take a lot of extra steps to get Max submitting. Brian Ortega. It can happen with one of these, but I don't know how likely that is. 
Same. I mean, I could see a scenario where Holloway rocks Ortega and then hops onto a submission, you know, and he's got a, a really good guillotine. Sure. One that he hasn't used recently. But does but he have the courage to use it rather than just keep punching? That's the other part, yeah. right? I mean, even a, a, a wobbled Ortega can be dangerous on the ground. If you try to grapple with him, I'm sure, you know, even wobbled, his instincts will just kick in. Right. And, you know, do, and do you want to pull guard with him? I yeah, mean, probably not. Right. All right. But good question, though. Set it up, fool. So or, let's go with the topic of Ortega Holloway. Let's let's keep that flowing. All right. Hey, guys. This is Colin. I just want to say it's a great show and keep up the good work. My question is, we got International Fight Week coming up. Lots of big matchups. One I'm most particularly interested in is Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. I was wondering, if Max Holloway wins, do you think he moves up to lightweight right away? Or if Ortega wins, do you think there's an immediate rematch? What are your thoughts on that whole matchup as a whole and where each guy goes after this? Thanks, guys. If it's controversial, for sure there's a rematch, right? In the, in the sense of Ortega winning, and it's for whatever reason, controversial. Bad ref stoppage or crazy decision or whatever. If he outright smokes him, maybe, just to keep it kind of interesting, because there's uh, the, the featherweight division has a bunch of up and coming guys, but you're not looking at that one next guy who's screaming at you as like that's the contender. We don't have quite that position, so no, I don't see that. Um, I do think he would, if Holloway wins, likely stay at featherweight for another one if for some reason they can find a contender. However, what I imagine might happen is dude, lightweight is in such disarray that I don't know what they want to do. But I bet if they did something like. So they had UFC 100, then UFC 101 was Anderson Silva moving up to 205 facing Forrest Griffin. If for some reason they needed him to jump up and face a Kevin Lee or I, I don't know, the winner of – if something happens between, God forbid, uh, Eddie and Dustin and one of them falls through and you need Max Holloway to jump up, I could see a scenario like that, but that wouldn't be for a title, but it would be at 155. In other words, let's see what the biggest fight is for Max Holloway if he wins after Saturday, and I bet he takes that independent of weight class. Everything else, a little bit in flux. Yeah, Ma Max Holloway has been, you know, super big on defending his belt and, and making that known. So I think if he wins, he's probably going to stick around a fight or two. But if he loses, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just changes weight classes and go right. up to one. It's a good point, too. Yeah, what if he loses? He just jumps to 155 yeah. and says, F it. This cuts yep. too much. Plus, all the big fights are at 155, too. Have you seen Max Holloway in person? Yes, I have, actually. He's when a, he was going to fight Habib. Yeah, he's bigger than people think he is. Yeah. He's much bigger. When he loses all that weight, he gets this sort of wafy rail look to him. But when he's filled out, he is a lot bigger, I think, than folks realize. So I know this is a different comparison, but he kind of reminds me when Anthony Johnson fought at 170. Like, you get this very, like, slimmed-down version. When, when you see him offseason, he just looks, like, naturally big. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 maybe, maybe. Well, remember Anthony Johnson also fought middleweight as well, David yeah. Branch, and, mm -hmm. and he was even then a little bit diminished relative to that two hundred five version. What's next? Cool. So, is it a Conor? Is it is it an MMA show if we don't talk about Conor McGregor? As a matter of right? fact, it is. Did you realize in the first show we barely even yeah. talked about him? Yeah, barely. And it, it wasn't by design. We weren't like we're. It's going to be a Conor McGregor free zone. But I was just. There are other people to talk about. But to your point, here we are, two shows in. So as so, far as we got, let's do it. All right. Here, here's your your weekly Conor McGregor question. Let's do it. Hey, what's going on, guys? Congratulations, Luke, on the show. I am calling because I'm curious to know if you believe Conor McGregor will fight uh, before the end of the year. 
if so, uh, when. And I also want to say uh, Semper Fi. It's nice to see another uh, successful jarhead uh, doing good things out there. Take it easy. Bye. Goddamn right it is. She said a Marine Corps support. Pe- people don't know shit about that. Let me tell you something. Semper Fi, Dallas. God damn it. Um, I would say, I do think it's likely, Danny. And I'll tell you why. I think ultimately his court case is going to be resolved in a professional, I wouldn't say expedited, but certainly a professional, reasoned manner. He appears to have expensive and therefore capable attorneys. I think his case being a first-time offender makes this, his celebrity notwithstanding, fairly straightforward. And I think as part of that, not so much the settlement, the settlement will be what it is, but then as a gesture of goodwill, getting back out there to the competitive ranks, in what capacity, I don't know, right? Who is he going to fight St. Pierre? Is he going to fight Nurmagomedov? Is it going to be in New York? Is it going to be in Las Vegas? I don't know. But I think he will try to, A, return to action. I think the UFC wants him to, independent of all these legal reasons. And I just feel like the legal reasons give him just enough of a push to return to competitive normalcy, which, by the way, his team said at the outset of this that they expected and wanted him to do. So, yes, when, where, against who? I don't know. But before the clock strikes January 1st, 2019, I do think so. I believe so, too. And, and regarding the case, I talked to a lawyer that, that works at the Brooklyn courthouse where, where he was uh, where he had his hearings. And this is a guy that, you know, he's, again, not a first-time offender. And this is a guy that you would want him not in prison. You want him outside. This is a guy that can bring a lot of revenue to cities. He can educate the masses if you put him to do, you know, some community service hour and talk to communities, et cetera. So I can definitely see him uh, coming back in 2018. Very good. Do we have more calls from Marines? This is making me very, very patriotic. I think this was the last one, but uh, there is a follow-up to this question. It might get a little choppy. I can clear it up if if you need it. Nothing I like more than bad audio. (laughs) No, I'm not saying about the audio. Actually, the actual question. Okay, okay. Hey, what's up, Luke and Danny? Hey, uh, congratulations on the takeover there, Luke. You guys are kicking ass. That first episode was awesome. My name's Chris. I'm from Montana. My question is, uh, if Khabib faces somebody else like Poirier or whoever is, uh, is up and he loses, does that make the fight with Connor still as intriguing? Does Connor still want that fight? Um, we all know how Connor and his mentality is, how he always wants to fight the best, but... I'm wondering if he wants to fight Khabib no matter what. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Yeah, they're in this precarious position where they need those two together. Um, the fight wouldn't I, – I, I'm not saying they, if he lost to Poirier or something that it would lose all value, but it would lose a lot of it, Danny. That would not – that would be a major problem for them. And they're in this position now where – what's interesting is Connor could fight St. Pierre and lose or Nate Diaz and lose at, let's say, 170 or whatever the hell weight even 155, and I don't think it would matter so much, but if Habib loses, then he loses the title, and then it's just sort of, because he has this undefeated luster, does he not? He's the undefeated champion. It's two things working for him. If you take both of those away, you still have this rivalry, and you could make it work, but that would be a fairly significant downgrade in my judgment. Yeah, I mean, everything that happened at UFC 223, it was obviously a black eye in the sport, but you can't deny it does make this fight between Habib and Conor a lot bigger. And, you know, he is undefeated. He does have the belt. So if he loses being undefeated and having the belt, I wonder how interested Conor McGregor is in fighting him, you know. Right. There has to be yeah. – there has to, he has to have something that Conor has to take from him. Exactly. If, you, if you've already had someone take those things, you could do it, 
but what can you say about it? What, you made an interesting point that people are like, oh my God, is, it's disgusting that uh, I was tweeting back and forth with Pablo Torre about this, although we were largely in agreement. And it is about, is it gross that the UFC would use potentially what happened at that incident in Brooklyn to, to promote the fight? And the answer is gross or not, it is, it is the inevitability of things, right? The fight game is, has a real nihilistic streak where it doesn't matter how good or bad it is, especially on the bad side, if it has functional value to promotion, it simply will get used. And the things that can be used that are on the bad side are almost endless. In fact, they're not using it explicitly. They're using the redemption story. But look at Greg Hardy, right? They're like, well, it's the redemption. He's on the comeback. But it is off the backdrop of this terrible, frankly, conviction that was expunged, I understand. But these they're not even alleged bad things he had done. And so you just have to, you have to, you have to, part of covering the fight game is covering sometimes bad people who, or good people who've done bad things. Yeah. And I also like that. I feel like MMA media and just media in general has a, a worse view on this situation. I was talking to my barber when, when that happened, like just weeks after, and he was asking me questions about Conor McGregor and he was laughing and he's like, wow, Conor McGregor's the man. He is Umbacan, you know, he's Dominican. <laughs> He's like, oh, he's super cool. And I was like, eh, that's kind of messed up what he did. But, you know, I think it's viewed under a different uh, light if you're a fan. Also, people don't realize maybe what he had done to maybe Ray Borg or Kiesa or, the, you know, Rose Namajunas. And he just saw him, uh, you know, in the, in the words of people much younger and cooler than me, wild and out. Um, and they, they like that kind of thing. Where's my mouth breather? That'll come. It'll be, we'll leave it last. All right. What's next? Cool. So... Let's talk about uh, an exciting prospect that you and I are, are somewhat high on, right? Hey, Luke. This is hey, Luke. This is Omar calling from Washington D.C. I was w wondering what your thoughts were on Gregor Gillespie and how he's been doing so far. Do you think he's talented enough to reach the top five of the lightweight division? And if so, how does his wrestling fare with someone like Khabib? Thanks again. Bye. Uh, I do think he has top five potential. Now, we got to move this along very quickly. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Mr. Gillespie. He's an unusual guy. You ever talked to him? I haven't, but... Uh... He is a, he's a different guy. First of all, he lives his own life. The man loves fishing more than I think you and I like breathing. Uh, he has a total independent streak. He has, I won't say bizarre views of the world. That's not quite right. But it, again, very unique, very independent, very much his own track. And his wrestling, dude, he's got that folk-style wrestling with the wrist rides and the hip. and everything. He is so good with that kind of thing. Against Habib, Habib is different because, he, as I mentioned before, he has the throws of judo. He has the wrestling rides of folk-style. He's got good body lock trips. He just can do it all. I don't know that anybody has that wrestling, but does Gregor Gillespie have that top five potential, that Kevin Lee wrestling where he can guard pass and he can wrist ride and he can work from turtle and he can do all those kinds of things? Plus, he's got that Division One intensity. Yes, he does. Gregor Gillespie has my attention, ladies and gentlemen. I agree with everything you said. Good. Let's you should play. just say that after every one of these. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of matchmaking now. Hey, Luke. This is Joel from Jersey. Congrats on the gigs. Quick question, with the super fight happening this weekend, what super fight should the UFC make next? And another quick one, uh, if, if you could come up with a super fight in MMA, so including the Askins, the Rorys, the Fedors, what, what was your match make? Thanks, man. Bye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a little weird. N nice little touch at the end. It's like my girlfriend in high school would sign off on voicemails that way. Um, I would say, ooh. First of all, I mean, does 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 is Lesnar Jones a super fight? 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's my answer. And that would be my answer for either of those. I would be interested in seeing like an Askren Habib or an Askren Maya, something like that. I'd be curious to see that as well. I don't know how much of a super fight that is in terms of the historic heights of money revenue generation you could reach, but my own personal unique interest. Yeah. Mm hmm. And money-wise, I would say Jones and, and Brock Lesnar is the biggest fight you can make. Yeah, and I still want to see Cain Velasquez back. I don't know what kind of state he's in and what his career holds for the future, but I still believe if we can get a healthy Cain Velasquez, Cain Velasquez, John Jones has my attention as well. That'd be a fun one. Mm -hmm. Cool. Let's do. Let's keep the matchmaking theme going on. All right. Hey, it's David calling out of Hollywood, Florida. My question is as follows. I saw that Vitor posted on Instagram, who would you rather me face? And he posted a picture of Tito, Chuck, and I believe uh, Vanderlei. Um, I'd like to know who Luke would um, rather see, either Vitor Chuck, Vitor Tito, or Tito versus Chuck, as we've been um, hearing is in the makes. Thank you, and have a great day. I appreciate it. Bye. You sure that wasn't Mike Bond? That sounded just like Mike Bond. Might have been. Didn't it? Might have been, yeah. So Kermit the Frog sounded <laughs> Canadian. Sorry, Mike Bond. I'm just teasing. He's going to get all bitter at me like everyone does in MMA. Um, I would say Tito Chuck, actually. I'm a little bit I, – I, I, Vitor has had a, a Hall of Fame career, yeah? I've had enough, personally. And I, I don't mean that to be disparaging. I just mean to say – he had a great run. I think it came to a close. You could say the, 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 that about the other two, but Chuck has had some – it's – I don't know, man. It, it, there's not a significant difference for me, but other than Chuck's been off, and if it's in California, and if it's properly regulated, Tito, who appears to be uh, more competitive now than he was during those first two fights, I guess of the three, the, those are the ones I want to see. I would agree. I don't know if I want to see Bitor in, in – or at least the version that we saw in Bellator. Maybe maybe TRT. You, you mean UFC? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, now we're gonna go. We're gonna keep the Bellator train going. Can we like edit through these because we are running out of time? Do you want to just sure. get to the mouth breather? All right. Where do you think this was? This this call came from. All right. <laughs> do, you, do you want? Do you need a, a replay? Yeah. Who is that? Who knows? It was just some donk breathing into the phone? Yeah, that's all we got. That's it? That's it. Can we have better mouth breathers? We need them. I Look, you need mouth breathers. Like you need Ivy versus Fulton in MMA. This show can't thrive without mouth breathers. Um, but I need better ones than that. Gotta step your game up. You know what, mouth breathers? You have let me down today. I'm really disappointed in you. That sucks. All right, we have, do we have tweets? We do have to. Let's get to some of these. Here's the thing with this. We got to make this segment longer. It's too yeah. short. It needs to be 30 minutes because there's so many great calls that we haven't had a chance to get to. So many great tweets we haven't had a chance to get to. And then we got one guy mouth breathing and not even doing the mouth breathing bit well. I'm very disappointed by the mouth breathers. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some of these All tweets, right. please. Let's do some tweets. Uh, hey, guys. This is from uh, Kyle O'Neill Mickles, I guess. Hey, guys. How many pay-per-view buys do you guess UFC 226 will get? Keep up the great work, Luke and Danny. Well, thank you very much. Mr. Kyle. Uh, Danny, I will say, ready for this? Go for it. 500K. Really? Yeah. I'm a little more pessimistic. I would go 400. I mean, I haven't really felt the buzz around it. Yep. And I know that might change a little later sure. in the week, but, uh, you know, especially with the pay-per-view business, the way it's going on, I would say 400, 450 is my guess. I think, I think between four and five is probably a fair cool. bracket. All right. Let's move on. Yes. 
Uh, would you be in favor, this person writes, this is Tom, from Aslan Tom, would you be in favor of an MMA World Cup every four years with countries sending their top prospects to battle it out? No, I don't really need to see that. I wouldn't mind um, other combative sports in the Olympics, and that being what it is. I know we're running late. Uh, <laughs> you're on screen, there, Danny. Just so you know, buddy. Yep. We can see you. I wouldn't mind other combative sports being uh, playing a bigger role in the Olympics, but I think just keep MMA the way it is. Yeah. I wouldn't mind like seeing a promotion, try it out, but yeah. Or even amateur MMA if they could make it happen in the mm -hmm. Olympics, if there was some kind of arrangement we could come to. I'd be all right with that. Cool. All right, let's move on to the next one. Please. All right, this comes from our friend Reese Burnett. Uh, if you could sit in the matchmaker chair for one day, what are the fights you would make to bring the most eyes money to the sport? As I mentioned, Jones Lesnar would be one kind of Cain Velasquez. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm an old school guy. The Cain Velasquez one would really interest me. Um, St. Pierre, Connor is an easy one. Uh, again, for just most money, right? Uh, and then cross promotion, right? Co-promote with Bellator. You're asking me to sit in the chair? I'm going to sit in the chair. Why not some co-promotion? You can say the UFC will never do it. I understand that. You understand that. But uh, you could do some big fights that way. You could really, uh, you know, you could do a um, Chandler versus, I don't know, somebody. I don't know how big that would be, but as a portion of the card itself to build the card out, it'd be huge. That'd be fun. Revolutionary is what it would be. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next yeah, question. Let's do that. All right, this is from Zappo. Also, can we have a breakdown of Thon Maker's <laughs> flying knees during Philippines, Australia, B-Brawl. Brawl. Luckily, we got the footage. Let's see this You're footage, ready? please. Look at these donks. Play it. Do we have the footage? Let's see this donk. Go back. Go back. What are you doing? We're going back. We're going back. Because this is a wheel. You have to go all the way around. Ah. I see it airing on the screen on the other screen. Oh, there we go. Is it airing? Yeah. Thon Makers is out here swinging, chasing. Look at him. Oh! Hold that. Now Thon Makers just kind of... How is Thon Maker? Is he playing for Australia? He's not Australian. He's like Sudanese. But watch this, watch this. This dude comes through. Hold on. Kind of is a bit of a flop here, right? Watch this elbow. Bock him! <laughs> Reminded me of that elephant who hit him with his, with his trunk. And then, watch this fool come in here. Just flying in the air. Watch this. Watch this. Tiger uppercut. Bop. <laughs> oh, that's great. There's nothing better than bad basketball fights. It's like I could, I could just, it's like, it's like popcorn to me. I, I love watching that. But Don Maker didn't do a whole lot. Kind of just, I don't know, stood around. I, I've seen better. You ever seen, well, who, who two-piece Shaq that one? No, not Shaq. Kobe that one time. What was his name? You remember that? I remember Kobe got kind of pushed him and put his elbow up, and the guy went bop, bop, hit him with the two-piece. It was great. Mean one, two. Yeah. Any other tweets we can get to? I have to get uptown, so we got we to yes, purchase. Yes, just real quick, finishing off with uh, your military experience. Yes, please. Uh, how was your military experience? How, excuse me, how has your military experience helped in getting to where you are today? Congrats on the success. Look forward to where you take this. Boy, everyone's been quite nice. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. That makes my day. Um, so I don't know how to answer that exactly. I would say... Um, Maybe no one in my family had done the military before. I, and you ask why I joined. I, I'll be candid. I did not join out of any particularly patriotic obligation. I just thought uh, the Marine Corps was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. 
No one in my family had done it. It would be a good test and a good character development. And I was right. It was one of the toughest things I'd ever done, not merely boot camp itself, but the entire process of learning and, and, and maintaining and getting promoted through the ranks. I would just say it was, uh, it taught me the value of hard work. Yeah, because you are not going to get anywhere in the military if you're not willing to work by the sweat of your brow. I don't care what job it is, whether you are in logistics. I don't know if they have cooks in the Marine Corps anymore. They used to. I think they phased that MOS out. Um, and you're going to have hard times, sleepless nights, no food, terrible conditions, sickness, injury. And you just have to find a way to push through. So I would say that that has been – and it, look, everyone's really nice to you about being in the military. But personally, like the, it just taught me like this is what hard work looks like. This is the level. You have to reach that every time. Yeah? All right. I think we are out of here. Danny? That's all we got. It was a great show. We got to make this segment longer. It's way too short. It's way too short. So we got to figure that out. But uh, good show. You got big plans for the game tomorrow. Make it fast. Yeah, well, I'll probably be in the office, but I'll, I'll be rocking my Columbia jersey. Maybe bring some uh, Colombian treats to, to the rest of the people here at the office. Va vamos cafeteros. Vamos muchachos. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. We'll be back. Next Monday, another show. I'll be in Las Vegas. If you see me, say hi and don't be weird. And until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>